This is Defenders TV Podcast with our spoiler-filled discussion of Captain Marvel. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, Furious 5 and Captain Marvel fans. We are here talking about Captain Marvel, the 21st movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm Derek, one of your hosts for Defenders TV Podcast. Hello there, fellow Defenders. I'm one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out this shield-loving trio, I am Chris. <laughs> yes, we've kind of made an interesting decision uh, amongst ourselves for Defenders TV Podcast for this year, 2019. Um, Nick Fury is going to be appearing in Sony movies this year. And as some of our regular listeners will know, I'm a huge Nick Fury fan. Previously, John is a Doctor Strange fan, and we've had the Summer of Strange. And Chris is a Spider-Man fan, and we have an ongoing series of the summer of spider-man so this year really is going to be the summer of shield with three possible nick fury appearances this year in the cinematic universe Mm. you must be so happy i'm so so excited and you know it's really interesting one of the facts that's come out during the filming and during the discussions about this movie one of the facts that's come out is basically if samuel jackson appears in avengers endgame along with robert downey jr who we know will appear if they both appear in that movie, then they have equal number of appearances in the Marvel Cinematic Universe at 10 movies. And we already know that Samuel L. Jackson is going to appear in Spider-Man Far From Home, which will be the 11th appearance of him in the Cinematic Universe. It will make him the number one actor in all of the Marvel MCU, right? Unless, unless Robert Downey Jr. gets a quick cameo in Far From Home and then they're equal. And then they're equal again, yeah. exactly. But they, but they won't be ahead. So Robert Downey Jr. Is expect, was always expected to be ahead of Samuel L. Jackson. But no, he's got more movies. So very excited about this. Much like Nick Fury, he, Sam Jackson is super covert. He's just getting in there under the radar, mm-hmm. going literally whoosh, suddenly there. I love it. Stuff. I've been really enjoying some of the interviews he's been doing over the last couple of weeks where he's been saying that effectively Kevin Feige came to him and said, do you want to play this role of Nick Fury? He's like, hell yeah, of course I do. <laughs> and that's it. And that's it. There was no, like, I'll play it for 12 movies or 20 movies or 60 movies. It was, I'm going to play this part of Nick Fury and do a little cameo. And then suddenly, obviously, as we all know now, after Iron Man 1, the whole universe just exploded out of that. He's played him on TV. He's played him in movies. Awesome stuff. Yeah, great yes, stuff to see him uh, on the on the screen again. But all comes on the back of the wonderful Captain Marvel movie. We're showing our hand a little bit here at the beginning of our podcast. We're going to be talking about all of the spoiler-filled details about this movie as we go into it. But first up, of course, if you're not subscribed to our podcast, make sure you go over to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Subscribe to it on any good or evil podcast catcher. Should that be Cree or Scroll podcast catcher, maybe? Exactly. I think it should be. <laughs> yeah. uh, you can subscribe to us on Spotify and Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher, or any other Cree or Scroll podcast catcher. Yes. Do you like blue skin or do you like pointy green ears? <laughs> you decide. Excellent. In fact, the, the Scroll have a little bit of a, a Thanos about them, but it's on their forehead rather than their chin. Mm-hmm. Those kind of grooves. It's like uh, upside down Thanos, but green, not purple. Yeah, I think one of the Celestials just got really pissed off when he was creating the universe <laughs> and the the people, mm-hmm. and he was just like, "I don't like you. You're getting you're getting a, a bump a bum chin, multiple <laughs> bum chins. You, I don't like you, your creature. You're getting multiple bum head, and it's just literally continues. It is because we are getting the Eternals this year, or well, at least in the next two in this phase, upcoming phase. Yes, so it's going to be. Uh, we get to meet the Celestials. Mm-hmm. We get to see the bum choosing well exactly god 
It, it, well, it's that thing, isn't it, where as a, you know, you squeeze your chin and are you a peach or a baby's bottom? Whereas you do it on a, on a scroll or on Thanos and it's like, oh, it's three bottoms lined up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not too sure whether I want to meet the bum-choosing <laughs> Celestial. That sounds like a very weird position in the Celestials. Probably. Anyway. We so. get to meet the Deviants anyway. <laughs> so let's move on because this went way off track. Already. Yep. Already. <laughs> yes, on with some of the movie details. Derek. Please, fire away. <laughs> fire. Well, the movie was directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. Uh, they're writing partners. They've been together for many, many years. They're probably best known for their movie Half Nelson, which they wrote way back in 2006, starring Ryan Gosling and a young Anthony Mackie. Cut the check. Cut the check, indeed. <laughs> that is my favourite Anthony Mackie moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and do you think Ryan Gosling smiled in this one? He might have. He might have. He used to be a member of the Disney Club. He used to smile all the time. I think That's... he just got rid of all of his smiles by the time he was about 14. <laughs> so, he's, yeah, he's rebelling against smiling. I will never smile again. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. That there makes so much sense. <laughs> well, the movie was also written by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. They get a writing credit on it uh, for the screenplay alongside Geneva Robertson-Dwarsh. Uh, she has six films in development at the moment, Geneva. Uh, she has the Dungeons and Dragons movie, live action mask movie, and the Silver Sable movie. So another Spider Man related movie that we'll be seeing in the future uh, coming from Sony. I, I love Geneva's work. Like she is going back into my childhood and choosing some of the best, best characters and the best shows. Yeah. And like the Dungeons and Dragons one, yeah. for those who don't remember, is just basically a group of kids who go into a theme park. Onto a ride and get transported into a Dungeons and Dragon world. Uh, love mask that. is mask is mask. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's one of the best transforming cars, like GI Joe esque, amazing things yeah. ever. Yeah, and Silver Sable. I'm interested to see what they do here because this is going to be the the second non Spider Man, um, Spider Man universe film. So mm-hmm. we're gonna this is going to be the Venom universe film. Where or the Spider non Spider Man universe film, the one where Venom is take place. Okay, right. so here's the thing: I need to know what mask the movie is because I was kind of right there with you that you know at least two of uh, out of three going back into my childhood. Silver Sable, you know, I wouldn't necessarily. Okay, but um, Dungeons and Dragons, absolutely fantastic cartoon, uh, which would be great to see live action. Mask, I just immediately thought of Jim Carrey, and I was like, going, woo, yeah. No, Wasn't no, no. that live action remember? already? <laughs> Do you not so, remember? Yeah, like okay. it was like mask. Still, will never get sued for copyright infringement for Christmas. It was like it was like they had he the boy had a robot that he could jump on the back of and turned into a motorbike. The dad was in a car that the wings shot up, suicide doors shot out. I think I need to see it again. Take off. They had like they lived in a mountain and a garage on the side of a mountain, mm-hmm. and the garage turned round. It was like th- 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 that was, was the only mask toy I had was the uh, was the mountain with the garage on the side. Weirdly, yeah, I, it must have been. Going but no actual. Toy. Yeah. <laughs> you had no car, so you played Thunderbirds. From Basically, yes, yes. Okay, um, but yes, I know. I know. There's an acronym in there as well. It's M A S K. It's not actually mask. There is a. There is a. a, a another acronym on there but i can't remember what it is at the moment anyway doesn't matter for this particular podcast because we're not talking about that one um 
Geneva does have one produced movie out of her work so far. Uh, she also had a Tomb Raider last year, so this is the second movie yeah. that's been produced, but she had has loads of other things in the works, so really excited to see what she's got coming up. The other writers on the script are Nicole Perlman, who wrote Guardians of the Galaxy, or part wrote Guardians of the Galaxy, and Meg Lafave, who wrote the awesome Pixar's Inside Out, one of my favourite Pixar movies uh, of all time. If you haven't seen Inside Out, because some people skip some Pixar movies, it's absolutely brilliant uh, film. So, yeah, it's really good. So lots of great writers in this movie. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for Captain Marvel, the 21st Marvel Cinematic Universe movie? Sure. A Kree soldier called Verz falls to Earth, known as C-53, with a bang after escaping a Skrull starship. As she battles the threat to C-53 with the help of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Kitty Cat Goose, she learns the truth about the real intentions of the Kree. But along the way, she discovers more than she expected about herself and her mentor, Dr. Wendy Lawson. With Earth caught in the middle of a galactic war between two alien races, Carol Danvers must fully embrace the powers she's been granted to become the person, the hero, she was meant to be. Short and sweet, but loads to talk about with our Captain Marvel discussion. Uh, thanks for that, John. Nina Problankin. And always a pleasure being able to use the term Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., because he's not Director of S.H.I.E.L.D. in this movie. He's actually Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. at this time, which is quite cool. Yes, it is. <laughs> For me. <laughs> he's a desk jockey. <laughs> he is. He is six years behind a desk after the Cold War and then decides to come out because he's like, mm, aliens, that sounds awesome. <laughs> Love it. Uh, let's get into our points uh, for this episode. Obviously, uh, this movie is all about the Carol Danvers character and her discovering who she is. So let's talk in our point number one about the life for Verz, this character that's being that's working with the Kree. That's a Kree soldier, effectively. Uh, we saw posters coming up and, and behind the scenes looks at, at Carol Danvers for the last couple of months with her in this Kree uniform. And it's kind of it was kind of interesting to work out why she was working with the Kree because she is a human after all. And we all, we always knew that uh, in the, in the comic books. So uh, quite interesting to see that she's working with the Kree and, and how they're all working together. Yeah, it was, it was, um, it was good because I think when we first saw it, I was kind of thinking sort of green lanterns and I was hoping mm. that uh, it didn't go the way of the green lanterns. Um, and it wasn't, it was really good actually. I, I like the idea that these are kind of shock troops uh, being used by the Cree. Um, I don't know whether it was just kind of the the lighting within the scenes uh, that they did, but I I didn't really get that all of them were blue either, like um, Ronan the Destroyer. Um, They're not, yeah, yeah. So I know obviously um, Verse she's she's not blue at all, other than maybe the the green blood that seems to to leak. That's the only kind of sense that you get that she's an alien here, mm-hmm. um, and. But I, I really kind of like this shock troop aspect and getting to know that team, you know, primarily the trainer, Jon Rog, uh, played by uh, Jude Law. Um, so that was really good, I think. Um, and just to learn a bit more about the Kree uh, mm-hmm. as well, because uh, these these characters, I probably know least other than from like Guardians of the Galaxy with where Ronan the Destroyer was um, and Skrull primarily from comics where they tend to be bad guys as well but um, certainly uh, this was good just to get to know that team and see these familiar faces especially like Korath um, played by Digimon Honsu uh, who returns there after Mm -hmm. being in Guardians of the Galaxy uh, the first movie yeah Yeah. so I love Star Force they 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 the characters that they made up of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we do have Korath, um, which I like, we've we've seen him before, but the rest of them are all in these other comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the fact that, like, they are the, the elite force of the Kree warrior group. Yeah. It's 
good to see them on their first mission, I suppose, because we get to see them each with their different styles. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have liked them to be a bit more... I would like to spend a bit more time with them. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's probably the one thing that we don't get much of. Because um, I don't want to skip ahead too many to our points later on. But I would have liked if we had a, got a bar scene with them, for example. Right. Where, like, we get them on one mission, we get them to um, sit down, they all kind of, like, be, are all happy-go-lucky, we get them to see them, how they've bonded... Uh, over the six years, then they then they go on the next mission, and that's the mission where they they get brought to uh, C five five three. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that that's where because at the unfortunately we basically now we see them in the first mission, we get a, a well, brief introduction to mission, them, yeah, 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 and then we we see them at the end, yeah. Well, there's so much to cover here. You know, again, we're talking about a movie that's supposed to be spanning the universe effectively. You know, uh, there is that moment when they go to Earth where I'm going, hang on a second. How close were they to Earth when this first battle was going on with the scrolls? Were they right overhead? Were they beside the moon? Because it seems like it suddenly jumps across the galaxy to it, get there. It was one of those weird things. I, I agree. And certainly when you kind of realize later, because even with Ben Mendelssohn's scroll general, uh, where he talks about trying to get this... Um, that this power source, this cell, so that they can do interstellar flight, and yet mm-hmm. they've obviously jumped yeah. from an alien planet somewhere in the galaxy to Earth. And mm-hmm. um, you're kind of going, it seems like you've probably already got it, lads, um, given that you have uh, a starship. Yeah. So, uh, but maybe that is ultimately one of the um, you know red herrings here for. Yeah. For this this storyline, but um, yeah, I, I I agree. It would be nice to get to know more about them, but it, whether there was time, yeah, um, because certainly at least how they were set up for me, um, not really knowing them from the comics, they didn't seem like the bar kind of uh, people. <laughs> um, I think, uh, I mean, mainly that was coming from Yon Rog. I think where yeah. he he had that very severe mentor type presence or trainer type presence with verse where he was being very kind of you know teacher student um and i mean you know teacher student from probably like the victorian period um it was very strict yeah you did get a little bit of the colonial marines kind of vibe when they're going out in their mission a little bit of of that aliens vibe where everybody's you know a bit a bit cocky about their abilities particularly verse which i think is is a bit of fun that they have with the character she doesn't remember her past she just has the six years that she's been working with these guys on the team thinking she's a member of their team thinking she's Cree and being put up against Jan Rog who actually hates her which is what, what I find really interesting that reveal later on that actually Jan Rog is not a mentor to her he's been trying to repress her the whole time just to try and get her to reveal her power source that she and reveal the location of Marvell. like that's a really interesting dynamic so you think he's this severe leader of their group but actually everybody in the team dislikes yeah. this character because she's an earthling who's stolen the power that they were supposed to go and collect so really interesting way of playing it i love that he puts her down every time she kind of is a bit jokey about her abilities you know it's it's a nice dynamic between the two of them that the opening scene where like we get to see this playful brie larson as carol as verse mm-hmm. um where she knocks on the door and it's like do you want to fight yeah and we get that kind of training and scene and it's it's an interesting. It, it it it's definitely interesting. It was shown a lot in a lot of the promotion materials, mm-hmm. and it wasn't what the it wasn't the scene I thought it was going to be. Yeah, and that's probably one of the things I'll say about this whole film. It, they were very Marvel 
studios on this in that they were very careful what they showed, mm-hmm. how that would probably be interpreted both by the um, the, the general audience and then the, the audience like ourselves who probably know at least some something about the, the, the Marvel Universe uh, and its characters. Yeah. So they, they they were very clever how they showed all these different things, who they revealed the names of. So, for example, we didn't know that um, Jude Law would be playing y- Jan Rock. Mm. Um, his name was never given, uh, which is very, very clever. Yeah. Um, his name is not given until at least... We're, until we're on C-53. Yeah, I think unfortunately there was a Lego set that was released. As always, these things happen where he was called Jan Rog on the Lego set as opposed to his uh, his character name or another character name. Unfortunately, one of those things that happens ahead of time. But it's fine with this kind of movie. You know, again, there are a million characters in the Marvel Universe in the comic books. So sometimes you might mention a name and I would have no idea what it is. Yeah. The big challenge I really think that was going on in this movie is we haven't really had a movie that's been duly set in outer space and on planet Earth other than... Obviously, the last Avengers movie, which had the ability to come in and go, well, you know all these characters, so we can set it anywhere in the universe. You know the characters, and we'll sit with them. Whereas this time, we had brand new characters being introduced all around the universe, really. you know. Yeah, I mean, remember, we also got the great intelligence as well being shown mm-hmm. here, uh, where it takes the form of um, someone you know or, or a memory. And so here we get uh, Dr. Wendy Lawson being um, that interface with mm-hmm. the great intelligence for uh, Carol Danvers or, or Vers uh, at this moment in time, which was really nice. I did kind of like all the different uh, little sort of bits coming up and planting around her temporal lobes and stuff. I thought that was really quite cool. Yeah. Um, and also, I thought that first, um, that fight scene, that mission to go and save that member of the Kree, I thought that was Really nicely done. I like the kind of darkness. It, it felt like that military incursion, really stealth-like. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I love the moment where you get to see uh, the the scrolls' um, ability to morph into uh, a different people. You see the person that they're actually trying to save is has already been taken on by the scrolls and, and the form. You get that great moment where one of the members of Star Force is looking down the. the the barrel sight of her weapon um, and she sees the person who's behind her shoulder and it's just like it, that that kind of enemy is just so terrifying this idea that you can't trust what you see with your own eyes mm-hmm. well, that was really really good um, so I, I really liked all of this um, taking place uh, in the alien world and I think it um, you know I think it's nicely done. I think the balance between being off-world, as it were, or off-Earth and on-Earth is kind of pretty well done because it does set itself primarily on Earth or Mm -hmm. C-53, which is good because I think if we were literally going all the way around uh, the universe, it probably would have been too much to handle. Absolutely. Um, And even, you know... Where it comes off, it's in orbit. So yeah. uh, I, I like the fact that um, you have that cloaked ship up there later on, yeah. uh, which is really cool. Absolutely. I do I do like the fact that the initial encounter with the Skrulls is actually telling you everything you need to know about the Skrulls by the end of the movie. The initial attack that they, that they have on the Skrull encampment, they're actually disguising themselves as refugees, which is in fact what the Skrulls are in this movie. They're refugees of a war between the Korean Skrulls where they are being treated as the bad guys. Um, I just think that's a really interesting thing that they do set that up in that opening scene, but you ignore it because, well, we've always been told that the scrolls are bad guys, right? 
So yeah, let, let's hold off on that revelation until uh, one of our later points because mm-hmm. for me that is that really was just such an amazing revelation, mm-hmm. uh, and I really want to dive deep into that one. Absolutely. Um, but like that mission as a whole was fantastic. We get to see you get to see the powers of the scrolls. Mm-hmm. You get to see the the powers of or the the elite fighting force element of the Star Force team. Uh-huh. Um, you get to see Vers and what she does well. Being not like in, in terms of her character type, yeah, you get to see her very much being the I'm gonna go forward. No, you're not, you're gonna wait here, says Jan Rog. Yeah, no, I'm gonna go forward. Okay, fine, we'll go with you. Yeah, like it was very brash, um, kind of gung ho, but in a I want to help people way, exactly, exactly. And I do love that. That again, that's another bit of Jan Rog. He's kind of he's kind of showing his hand a little bit there where he's going. Uh oh, this person's actually really powerful. And if I'm not standing right beside her when she uses her powers, maybe she'll realize how powerful she actually is. Um, I love that they have this kind of embedded the whole time that Jan Rog has a different ulterior motive to everything he does. He's actually not her partner and he's actually not trying to go, oh, well, you're really powerful and I'm really powerful. The two of us will go and do this together. He's actually just trying to monitor her the whole time and make sure that she's held back the whole time. It's just a nice little touch in there. By the end of this film, you look back on everything and you're like, Oh, now, like, because I'm going to go see this a second time. Oh, yeah. Now that I know everything, because you know it's going to be, every scene is going to have a different ta- take, a different tone. Mm-hmm. Now that you know, because just by thinking back on a lot of these things, you're like, oh, that makes so much more sense. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think the other thing about the life of Verz as well here is, you know, we get these memories that creep into her uh, mind after, you know, she's captured by um, General Talos. So it's great here because we get the first introduction of Ben Mendelsohn's character Mm -hmm. uh, of Talos, uh, kind of this this scroll general or leader um, yeah. and uh, he he is you know trying to extract information uh, from her her mind and it's within this moment that we then start to see this picture of a different uh, verse here one where we see she is a fighter pilot that's building and testing new technology mm-hmm. with this uh, Wendy Lawson and she's with her best friend Maria Rambo who um, is also testing these these new fighter jets uh, and the the new technologies and mm-hmm. um, so that's a great moment on board that scroll ship where then they kind of come out of um, I don't know hyperspace or dawdle space whatever they have um and and they're there above earth and and we obviously get that fantastic moment where she manages to escape and you i I do like the fact that her hands are kind of tied in these binds and um she still manages to beat the the living daylights out of all the scroll Mm -hmm. Uh, but ultimately that is what brings her down to earth with a blockbuster bang um (laughs) so to speak yeah, God, that that escape scene is brilliant. Yeah, it's really it is, good isn't one. it? It really is. Where you see that the young scroll or the the, the nerdy scrolls at the computer, they're like, ah, because she comes <laughs> back and grabs her boots. Yeah. yeah, I think one of the 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 best tells of this film from such an early start is that is in theory we just come out of a massive action scene. Uh-huh. Um, we get a an interrogation scene, yeah. which is supposed to be somewhat scary um, or kind of chilling probably not scary chilling um and then they break into another piece of action where she's fighting like hundreds not hundreds of scrolls but like at least 20 30 scrolls 
and she's still literally one arm behind her back mm-hmm. yeah because she kind of has those things on her hand and it's just there's always with this smile on Ver's face like she's enjoying this she's enjoying the action the adventure I do love it I love as she's as she's beating the ball up and the things are getting brighter and brighter with the fire that's inside her hands and she's like does anybody know how these things come off is there <laughs> yeah, a button exactly. that I've got to press or something <laughs> really and, good and I think as well it also just feeds into um, you know the the view that we do have of the the scrolls, which that they would sort of interrogate or torture, if you will, to get this information out of her. Um, you know, it, it leads, um, it sets up that bad guy element of the scrolls here, which is uh, it is really interesting for later mm-hmm. later on. But ultimately, I think uh, we can move to Earth now with point two, absolutely, um, and the Earth allies of Agent Phil Coulson, Agent Nick Fury. Yes, I just thought I'd let you introduce Thank that, you. given that, you know, <laughs> Nick Fury are us, is so sat next to me here. Yeah, I'm so excited. Like, this this moment when we have Carol crashing down in Blockbuster Video, she gets outside, she sees all the posters around that are things like, you know, Smashing Pumpkins playing soon and all this kind of stuff. I was transported straight back to 1995. I knew exactly what year it was from that moment. The music that's going on, the fact that it's a Blockbuster Video store, there's yeah. only one of those left in the world, guys. Uh, the, the second last one is closing down in uh, Australia at the end of March, and there's one more left in the world. Which is more of a tourist Which attraction a tourist at the moment. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's kind of cool. But yeah, it's kind of, it instantly brought me back to my time when I lived in America, which was between 94 and 96. So uh, I love the, the design here. It's so weird that this is a time that you would flash back to. It feels like yesterday. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I felt so familiar mm-hmm. um, with all the, you know, with True Lies, the poster that was taken down by, um, by Verz as she sees... Arnold Schwarzenegger pointing uh, a gun and takes off his head. So, uh, yeah. yeah, pretty pretty good. But I love that she's pointed towards Radio Shack as well, that old, that old concept yeah, yeah. of if you need anything at all and you want to build a super machine, go over to Radio Shack. They have parts for everything. If you want to put in the time, <laughs> off you go. And she creates like a 3D telecommunications device that's able to able to talk to someone in another galaxy. That's awesome. Yeah, from a payphone, <laughs> pay which phone, is effectively yeah. gone now. I even also like... The security guard reminds me of so many security guards from movies in in like the eighties and early nineties, mm-hmm. where it's just like I don't know over there, yeah, like exactly. as he's eating, and then like he's the one that's like, oh, I better call the police. Okay, I, lo- I love it where she's like, you know, are you the are you the guardian of this of this area? And he goes, well, uh, I think Phil controls the church, and uh, <laughs> that comes really good fun, really good fun. Uh, but this does give us the introduction of Nick Fury and Agent Phil Coulson back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Remember, we haven't seen Phil Coulson in the movie since his appearance in The Avengers, where he got killed by Loki. Ever since then, he's been on TV. So to have Phil Coulson back on back on screen, even in this very minor role that he gets in the movie, we knew it was going to be small. Um, obviously, he's committed to working on a TV show where he, he spends you know about 40 weeks of the year filming that. So didn't expect he'd have a huge part in this film. But really nice to have him de-aged and really nice to have him working along side um, Nick Fury. Uh, if anybody doesn't know, uh, Agent Coulson was introduced into the Marvel comics after his appearance in the movies and TV shows. Uh, he was introduced as basically best friend of Nick Fury Jr., which is basically Samuel L. Jackson's counterpart in the comic books as well. So uh, these two have known each other in the comics for, for a number of years now, and it's great to see them, the two of them appear together in this in this movie. Yeah, I just, I it was happy to see Coulson back being Coulson. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's probably the best way. Yeah, I really did get some uncanny valley with Coulson. Really? I didn't get it with Fury, which was, I, I was expecting the complete opposite. Mm. Because I think all they really did with Coulson was throw on a bit of hair on his head. Um, <laughs> no, they, they they've definitely de-aged him as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have to say the technology, they've used it for many, many movies so far now. And people have kind of been wondering what it is that Captain Marvel's bringing to the game that all the other movies have brought things like, you know, CGI characters with Groot and, and that kind of stuff with uh, with all the other movies. You know, what is this movie? What's actually doing? Well, it's brought to life a character for the full runtime of the film. Samuel L. Jackson is in this movie more than most other characters are. And he looks great. Like, I've yeah. seen him in more movies than pretty much any other actor. And he looks pretty much like he did back in 95. I think he might even look better than he did in Pulp Fiction and in uh, in Die Hard with a Vengeance, wasn't it? That was the, other, that was the yeah. two films that kind of would have been around 95. So I think he looks better than he did right then. He, he They definitely removed a few wrinkles. Mm. Like, this yeah. is, the, this is the, the, the Marvel's version of the Botox. <laughs> Um, it's just like, well, since you're aging me down, can you kind of, can you, I, I've had this twitch on my left eye, just a couple of lines. Yeah. I was a smoker, so I have that little bit of lip. Can you just remove them at the same time? Um, <laughs> I think what he said actually is that because he was working in so many films at the time that the, the CGI artist who did the de-aging work on him had so much reference points to use on other films that he'd done around the time that it makes it a bit easier for them to do the de-aging process that they do. Because obviously you have a model that's been in, 20 movies well that that's much easier than having someone like Clark Gregg who at the time was doing a lot of stage plays weirdly what another one I learned this week was Samuel L. Jackson was actually working on a stage play that Clark Gregg was the director of um isn't that cool back in 95 that is pretty cool <laughs> so they have worked together but there's not as much reference material for Clark Gregg because he hasn't he wasn't working as much at the time in in movies so yeah okay no that's it's really good but we do have speaking of Coulson um, he is because the scroll have also landed on Earth, so we get that really good moment where they come out. Sort of, I kind of was transported back to Baywatch actually, um, <laughs> where they come out of oh, the yeah. water um, <laughs> and uh, they turn into hot, sexy surfer people, um, <laughs> but still has a, a good old Aussie accent going on. Uh, does Ben Mendelsohn, but mm-hmm. he's he certainly changed his uh, shape. No, uh, David Hasselhoff this time, unfortunately. No, no, da- no, David Hasselhoff, <laughs> which would have been very cool as well, given he did play Nick. Fury, yep. um, but uh, and certainly no Pamela Anderson nope. uh, either. But uh, yeah, really good to see the scrolls, and they have kind of tracked her down really quite quickly because we do get scroll uh, Coulson here and this really fantastic uh, train chase, and also just so uh, you know to avoid any doubt, the fact that she smacked that old lady, that scroll old lady in the face, um, was fantastic, was and great. of course. She gave as good as she got, you know. She's on. Uh, she's got a walking stick and mm-hmm. a bag of groceries to use as weapons uh, against Carol Danvers. But I love that because I think the reaction of everyone on the metro line was absolutely like spot on. It yeah. was like, what's she doing? She's just hit that old lady and like trying to hold her back and all that. Mm-hmm. Really nicely done. Whilst all the time we have Scroll Coulson. Uh, sat next to Nick Fury mm. trying to follow this train down to 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 get back to capture um Vers and uh, <laughs> there's that just edit back to the real Colson still outside the blockbuster video yep. so it's nice it's just kind of nice interchange here uh, th- throughout this whole 
train chase uh, and, and the fight going on. I thought it was really nicely done. It yeah. was really good. And I love the Coulson's holding the gigantic mobile phone that would have been around in, in 1995 <laughs> yeah. where it looks like it's it's like that huge field walkie-talkie that you see <laughs> that you see in movies. But yeah, really cool to see that. <laughs> um, quick one for anybody that's going to see the movie again because uh, we're going to go and see it. And this is one I'm going to check out. There's a moment when, uh, when Skrull Coulson is in the car beside Nick Fury. Nick Fury gets in. I think he calls him by his comic book nickname, which is Cheese. I don't think he calls him Coulson when he sits in beside him. So just want to check that next week because it didn't sound like Coulson when he said it, but I, he only said it once and I haven't gotten the chance to see the film again. But just that first moment when he gets in the car beside Coulson, check it out, see if he says Cheese to him because that, that is his comic book nickname. But the interesting thing would be to see whether Skrull Coulson um, actually... Um, notice that because mm-hmm. they don't take the memory so you wouldn't know so yeah. so scroll colson would go cheese cheese? <laughs> cheese gromit or something like that to, to nick fury because he wouldn't know what he's talking about exactly yeah i just want to hear him say nicholas or nick mm-hmm. or something like he will he will probably because we don't find that out till later that everyone calls him fury mm-hmm. so potentially earlier on in this scroll colson's probably going to have said something else mm-hmm and I'm like, oh, we just because we didn't pick up on it because it wasn't called out at this point exactly, yet. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but yes, this train battle is really, really enjoyable. Must say, it's it's one of those ones that you're really, really excited seeing it. And because there's also the car chase going on at the same time as the train battle, it makes it so dynamic in the streets as it's going on. And to think that all of this work that's being done on the de-aging process on Samuel Jackson and on Clark Gregg is all going on while all of this action scene is happening. It's not like you know, the first couple of ones that we saw in the Marvel Cinematic Universe where they walk into a room and they stand and have a conversation. This is part of this overall movie. No wonder some of the movie is spent in corridors uh, just walking around the the base after Carol and Nick have been captured because so much money must be being spent on trying to fit this de-aging process in the background of all the other stuff that's going on that they must be going, actually, let's just take a little break here from outdoor scenes. <laughs> let's have some moments where we have a grey background where give our, give our CGI guys a bit of a rest. <laughs> I, loved, I loved the train scene. I just loved the parkour granny. Uh-huh. Yeah, that yeah. was just my favourite thing. Yeah. Literally... Okay, yes, it was great action, and uh, we the, the the car scene, the car chase was amazing too. Mm-hmm. But just parkour, Granny. I literally just, when she was flipping around the pole, I just literally wanted to go, parkour! Yeah, yeah. Like, it was just one of those kind of, it was just like, yeah. That's, I think yeah, more grannies should do parkour. They should. Based on this, I'm like, more grannies should be hit in the face, and more grannies should do parkour. Exactly. Well, uh, if breakdancing is going to be an Olympic sport, then granny parkour equally could be uh, an Olympic exactly. sport. I'm not sure whether Chris speaks for all members of the 22 podcast when he asks for more grannies to be punched in the face. Um, not more grannies. Only if they're scrolls, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll but get how there. do we know okay. until we punch them in the no, face? No, no, you have to be a trained <laughs> professional to punch anybody in the face, Chris. Uh, what I do like about this, remember, this is this is set you know, about 20 years before the Avengers. So um, what I think is quite important that the, that the writers obviously paid attention to was the scroll never transforms into another person while being in full view of somebody else. It's only when they get into a hiding position in between two train carriages when they actually transform to somebody else. So you see the reaction of one person going, hang on a second, that looks like me, kind of thing, rather than that whole train full of people realising that an alien is amongst them. I think that's quite a good touch that they have, yeah. uh, that the writers do here, because it causes huge panic in a city if they if people think, hang on a second, a shape-shifting alien has just arrived. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I really like that. And it's kept to just members of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., effectively, who've seen, uh, who've seen these creatures who can 
kind of keep that hidden, as they do with most things. Uh, but it's nice that it doesn't cause this kind of global panic that the attack on New York would have caused, for example. I loved the attention to detail. Mm-hmm. I know there are already some articles out there this weekend since the, like it's been a whole three days since the actual um, film has come out. People going, well, they missed this thing and this doesn't make sense and this is an inconsistency. But to be fair, these guys have pretty much thought of most things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in terms of, okay, this is set in 1995. This is pre-everything else, pre-Iron Man. So you need to... Re- like even tech- technology is behind, but yeah. even beyond that, it's like anything that happens or that is seen or done doesn't reflect on the the cinematic universe later on. Mm. Absolutely. So, and I think we get that really nice moment where we we see that from Nick Fury, where he's kind of like, "Well, I wouldn't have believed in aliens because you know he sees." Colson changed before him back into the the scroll uh, and he puts the the blanket over him so that no one else can kind of see it Ooh, and, yeah. and that's really what kind of kicks him off to really helping Carol here Carol Danvers or Vers um and then they head on to um that sort of secret uh, test uh, facility mm-hmm. uh, deep in the mountains which again does it brings you back to um so many different things, whether it's like from Terminator, whether, you know, the, these secret laboratories were... Stargate. Yeah, Stargate, all this kind of stuff. Really, really uh, fantastic yeah. stuff. Uh, where they go, uh, and again, you, you have more of these memories starting to kind of filter through mm-hmm. uh, and permeate into into Verse as she gets there. I um, don't know why, but it really made me laugh, this this way that, that they do it, where they get into this secret base where Nick shows his credentials and they let him in, and then they just bring him into a room and lock the door behind him and turn off his credentials. <laughs> I think that's really funny because he's a spy and he's been able to do this in so many locations. Just kind of go, hey, I'm the number one spy in the in the world. Let me into any location. They go, grand, no problem. And then we're going to put you into a lead-sealed room so we can't, you can't get out and uh, find out all the, everything that's going on in here. Uh, he uses that great trick with the uh, with the uh, sellotape to get the guy's um, fingerprint and use it on the door. And then Old find, school. Absolutely. And then finds out that Carol could just blow a hole in any door she wants to which I just think is another great touch and she's like well you seem to be having a bit of fun so I thought I'd let you have it yeah and I definitely something of the bureaucratic nerd in me loved the rows and rows of files um, I must say <laughs> yes uh, I kind of wept for joy a bit at that which is really sad <laughs> Well, I like that they obviously use the Dewey Decimal System because Carol Danvers can find the exact file she wants within about three and a half yeah, seconds. She's like, okay, this row must be G, and I'm looking for uh, looking for the GU. Okay, <laughs> grand, that's the one I'm looking for. Fine. Okay, got the file. Uh, brilliant. I do think the actual setup of the scene is a nice um, a nice scary almost moment. The, the, the lighting in the scene is done really well as they go down each pathway where all the files are kept and the lights turn on or turn off depending on where they are. And it's used to great effect later on when we have uh, the scrolls coming in trying to find them and the, they see the lights going on in a in a corridor that they're in so that's where they know they are i think that's done really well it could be yeah. used really well in a horror movie i think definitely and we get introduced then to uh, talos in a different form as chief keller hmm. um head of shield isn't he Di- is he the director of shield it seems um, like it. it just keeps being called chief by nick fury um i'm kind of i, I, I don't know I, I kind of feel if you're going to use a character from shield you might as well use someone that 
that people know. There's a bunch of characters that have been directors before Nick Fury. It would have been nice if they'd actually referenced that it is someone that was a director before. But um, I suppose with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. being on TV as well and them using a lot of S.H.I.E.L.D. character names in that show, it's quite difficult to find one that you may not have heard before. So eh, it's fine. I, I'm not... I'm not beholden to uh, to the to the shield that much, I suppose. Do you want to do you want to say that again, so so we can get it audio recording and we can actually clip it out and just go? Yeah, he's not beholden to shield. It's fine. Anything we we say bad about shield is that he's not beholden to. Well, that's not exactly what I meant. <laughs> yes, I do. I'm with you on that, but now that they've mentioned him. Um, now that he is a known chief, now that he is a known kind of uh, quantity in the MCU, uh, I, I want to see more of him, mm. which I don't think we're ever going to get to see, though. Because he's being played by Ben Mendelsohn, I think it's pretty unlikely we'll get to see him yeah. uh, in the future. Unless we get, you know, the Scrolls returning to Earth in the future, and that's the persona he adapts again, uh, potentially. But um, yeah, maybe we might get Ben Mendelsohn back. He's a, he's an excellent actor, and he's definitely an in-demand actor, so I'm not sure whether we're going to see him very often. That's my that's my thing. Yeah. And that's also because they have to age him then 20, 25 years more, 30 years. They'll need to have aged him to the same degree. Mm. So actually, we'll get aging process versus de-aging process. <laughs> maybe, um, maybe. Or we might see him appear back to Carol in the future just on his own in that human persona, perhaps, uh, without doing the aging thing. There'll, there'll be an excuse for it, I suppose, if he doesn't age Exactly. Himself, yeah. This is perfect, because this brings me on to the Rambo family. Mm-hmm. We, bring, we brought him and we're introduced to uh, Carol's best friend, um, the the co-pilot, her, her, her co-pilot in the, the experiment that they're working on with Pe- Pegasus. And this is great, because we also get to meet Rambo's daughter as well, which will later be... A Captain Marvel as That's well. That's correct, yes. Um, which is a nice touch. Yes. Um, I did enjoy that. And even though I'm not a Captain Marvel fan, as such, I've read a bunch of the comic books. She's appeared in huge crossover events for the last number of years, about 10 years, really. So she's been around a lot. Even without knowing the full history of the character, you could definitely tell there was something really important about Monica Rambeau. The, the way that Carol Danvers speaks to her as a friend and as an empowering adult in her life who's been missing for six years, you can definitely tell this special about the relationship the two of them have. Um, I absolutely love the interaction between all three of these characters, I must say. I think they're really good together. I would love to have seen a bit more of them on screen, but I'm sure we're going to get a bit more in future. And I think, obviously, this movie being set 20 years ahead of Avengers Endgame means we're probably going to get an adult version of, uh, of Monica in the future. That's exactly where my head was going. We will hmm. not see um, Mother Rambo ever again, uh, unless she's been aged, uh, unless mm-hmm. they choose. Uh, but I think we will see uh, a young Monica or yeah. an older Monica because it's what it's nineteen ninety five. It's uh, twenty five. Like they're gonna have aged at twenty something years. <laughs> Wait, this is how Kurtz always does maths. Yeah. <laughs> if I carry the two, and basically, I had a beautiful mind moment there that audio listeners. I wanted because this is an audio podcast. I wanted to make sure that you could see how my math was working in my head. <laughs> the five, and then it's actually plus another ten. But yeah, that that works out. Yeah, it is twenty something years. Yeah, to the power um, of Danvers. Yes. <laughs> um, because I'm assuming that's what they will do now. They will mm-hmm. introduce. The, the the daughter as an, an ongoing character because yeah. uh, Verz is now part of the character universe. They're not going to kill her off after two films. <laughs> 
They could. Everything's uh, on the table when we're coming into Endgame. We've already been hearing some people think that that might be what what's happening. But uh, but no, I like the idea of having this character that that has a history in the comic books. You know, we talked about it when we talked about Cassie in Ant Man, where everybody's going, "Oh, Cassie grows up to be uh, to be Ant Girl or become stature." I think it is. Um, but well, that's probably not going to happen. You're probably not going to have that young actress appearing in a movie as stature. They're going to have to do some kind of time jump to have her. And as an older actress, right here, you've got a really good reason to bring back this character that we're meeting in Captain Marvel. Because, well, the next time we meet Captain Marvel, it's 24 years later, 25 years later since the last time we saw that character. So, of course, that young kid that we saw in this movie in a month's time is going to be a much older character and is going to have taken on board the teachings of Carol Danvers, which I think is a really nice idea. I do love that she's the one that encourages her mother to step back up and take her place back for the coolest uh, mission that she could ever Absolutely. possibly have. I think that's yeah. a great scene. I think it's really nice, as you say, the interaction here. You've got the, the camaraderie uh, between Rambo and uh, Vers here, or Carol, uh, which is really nice. You have that Carol uh, reigniting her friendship, and, you know, she's anti-Carol uh, with Monica, and, and just, you know, giving her that, sage bit of advice that her mum maybe can't do and I, I like the fact that she empowers both these uh, women both uh, Monica and her mum I think it's really really good yeah. uh, to see and of course I think the great thing here is that you know this meeting of Carol with the Rambo family coming after um, Carol and Nick are there within the big file room uh, in the underground test facility is, I think, moving on to point number three, mm-hmm. is the revelation that Vers is this pilot, this USA um, Air Force uh, Carol Danvers test pilot, you know? Uh, and this is a huge revelation. You know, we've seen it with the, the memories. We know that something is happening, but this is where, for the first time uh, for Vers, she... Uh, connects the dots uh, basically from a photo showing her getting into uh, one of the fighter jets uh, and we we gradually see here um that her her mentor from the facility with this uh test program called pegasus is all trying to get a, a new um kind of engine power source for interstellar flight that mm-hmm. th- that they're testing and which um has has crashed and so we see that Rambo family think, you know, they see a ghost as, as she walks to the uh, to their house um, and they answer the door. They feel they've seen a ghost. Um, and, and so there's a whole load of reconnection going on here uh, and revelations that, that play out in, in this kind of third quarter of the movie. Yeah, yeah. I do love this reveal. I suppose, of the scrolls as Ben Mendelsohn's uh, scroll walks in, you know, as usual, you know, drinking a, drinking his drink from his uh, from his sippy cup uh, just, to, just to show <laughs> that he's not that bad a guy. Um, I love that reveal. And then he kind of points out the window and goes, but if you don't listen to what I have to say, um, your daughter is in the hands of another scroll outside impersonating Maria. Um, really interesting touches here where he's not, he's not being as trustworthy as you would expect but is trying to give them an opportunity to learn more about who the Skrulls really are. Because we all assumed coming into this movie that the Skrulls were the bad guys, right? Everybody assumed that. Um, Even though the Kree were the bad guys for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. uh, Season 5, even though they're working with uh, Ronan the Accuser and Karat the Pursuer, uh, who we also know as bad guys for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you still kind of were going, oh, maybe the Kree are one type of bad guy and the Skrulls are 
the other type of bad guy and actually they're both against each other and they're both bad guys and they're both against Earth. You know, maybe that's the way they're going to play it. But to find out that the Skrulls are actually a persecuted race is a big twist here. And actually Marvell, who was taking on the persona of Dr. Wendy Lawson, was actually trying to find a way for the Skrulls to escape from the oppression and the violence of the Kree attacks. That was her whole purpose. And that's why she found Carol Danvers. And that's why she worked so well with Carol Danvers. It's a big reveal. Yeah, it's that moment where you are told that um, Marvell, the Kree scientist, is not trying to um, test and develop this new engine to aid the war, but it's actually to effectively prevent the war for the scrolls. And I think you're right. You know that that rug pulling on the scrolls is really like fantastic. Yeah. I mean, they've that they've not been in the MCU, um, and you know from the comics, they're normally added in as the bad guys and mm-hmm. um, you know for ourselves on strange tales they've recently appeared in mark Waid's where they're using the time gem to effectively try and develop them and themselves and push back to being an aggressive race um but you do get hints within that comic that they also just have regular uh, you know family life going on um and it, it's a really nice moment here to think that it's not as such being a battle of equals between the Kree and the Skrulls, where um, the Kree are fighting to preserve their borders, as they say, because the Skrulls can effectively infiltrate um, and take the form of anyone. But that actually, yeah, the Skrulls are... You then look back to that first battle with the um, with Vers attacking uh, on the alien planet, and they are refugees. Um, and we see this even more so in, in this part of the movie as well that they are are refugees. So it, it's a uh, great manipulation here, I think. Mm-hmm. I this for me was just such a revelation. Um, mm-hmm. It was a breath of fresh air. Um, yeah, they zigged when I thought they were going to zag. And I think I can't put it any other way. Um, I assumed when we were getting introduced to the Skrulls, we were going to get Secret Invasion for the next phase, which is a massive arc. Um, It was a kind of the event within the Marvel Comics universe back in the early 2000s, I think it was, Um, where basically you find out that a lot of superheroes across the Marvel Universe, had been replaced by Skrulls. It was mm-hmm. a big, massive invasion. It was huge. I thought that's where they were going with this. This is like, it was like the setup. Do you know, there was even that theory that some people had that uh, all the heroes that had died in The Last Avengers, all the versions of those heroes were actually Skrulls, and the real versions of those heroes were actually kept somewhere and only released for Endgame, effectively. So I'm glad that that didn't pay off. That was the worst theory I think I heard about The Last Avengers movie. Yeah, Um, and but that's the thing. Everyone thought that's just what they were going, because mm -hmm. in the comic books, the Skrulls usually are your proto-bad guys. Yeah they, yeah, they they have some they they've been investigated and they've kind of the people have delved into them, especially the Fantastic Four elements mm-hmm. because you have the Super Scrolls and things like that. But they've yeah. always just been yeah generic bad guys, kind of like they, they, they in that sense. Well, they were created from the idea of people posing as Americans and living in American society during the Cold War um, and taking that information back to the Russians and Germans, I suppose. Yes. That's where the whole concept of them came from. So they were the enemies next door was the yeah. whole concept of the scrolls. They could be anybody. They could take anybody's place. So 
that has kind of maintained all the way throughout the history of the Marvel comics. So I love when this kind of rug is pulled out from under us. You know, we see things like um, Mandarin, for example, in Iron Man 3 is a great example of the MCU going, oh, you think this is the bad guy? Actually, it's just an actor who's using this all of these things yeah. uh, to his advantage to be the bad guy. We've had this a few times in the Marvel Universe. At the bad guy in Civil War, Baron Zemo, you know, in the comic books, he's a really powerful bad guy. In the movie, he's just manipulating the good guys against each other because he knows he can never fight against them. I love when, you know, you walk into a movie thinking that it's going to be your comic book bad guy. But actually, we haven't had that many of those in the MCU. We haven't had that many exact versions of the comic book bad guys. So doing this with the scrolls where you're going, actually, they're using their ability to change form to hide themselves away from the Kree rather than to attack people is a great little rug pull. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think, again, we've talked about this burden of knowledge before, and this is the reason I loved it. Because those of us, or especially like kind of fellow defenders and kind of those who have a passing knowledge or at least read comic books, we have these preconceived notions in our head. And when they subvert them like this, it was just like a massive breath of fresh air mm-hmm. on, on this. Like, I, I, it re- reinvigorated me into the film. Yeah. Um, because I was like, oh, 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 you're literally changing everything I know about what I thought I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, the, the idea of, and I talked about it literally at the beginning of this podcast. Yeah. You go back and you look at everything. So that scene at the very beginning of the film where Verz is captured. I'm sorry, I'm going to call it out here. Um, Verz, I did not get Verz. Yes. It took me way too long to understand why they had called her Furs. Like, I was like, what? Like, I thought it was V-I-S or V-I-R-S. Like, I thought it was going to be something. I did not think Furs, Carol Dan Furs. That was, anyway, that was an aside, but my... From from her broken dog tags that uh, that, uh, Jan Rog finds uh, on the... Uh, after the battle, I suppose. Yes. Um, that's a, it's a really cool idea because he is actually giving her his name, he thinks. He, he's picking up this thing and going, oh, well, we'll call her Verse because that's obviously her name. Um, he's not thinking I'm going to change her name. He actually thinks he's giving her the right name. But uh, but it's a, ni- a really nice touch. It was so good. And as you say, Chris, one of the great things about this reveal is it does change the previous two-thirds of the movie. You know, all the things that you thought you knew about, about Jan Rog and about the... Uh, the other Cree, what they're doing around Carol Danvers, they all turn out to want to battle against her and kill her like they wanted to at the beginning uh, when they first found her, I suppose. So a nice change to the first half of the movie. So the next time you see it, you're going to come in with that concept to watch the movie. It's a great idea. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, this really does pivot the entire movie to mm-hmm. both moving forward and then looking back. And I think it's really nice. I mean, for me, I think I'm, I'm, I'm with uh, Chris that, that this revelation on the scrolls is just really um, spot on to mm-hmm. have that uh, perception of them changed um, as to, uh, you know, what they are and what they're about and, yeah. and, and to get the Cree um, effectively, you know, it kind of firms up what, what they're about. And we should have known that given what happened in guardians of the galaxy and yeah. indeed agents of shield. So uh, really, uh, really good here. Absolutely. But on to point number four, um, the final battle in uh, Dr. Lawson's space station, we have her cloaked space station revealed. Um, mm-hmm. 
And, uh, you know, we see here, it emphasizes uh, this idea that the scrolls are hiding their refugees and they're being persecuted by the Kree, where uh, her space station is filled with uh, refugees um, from, from the Krees. And they've been there since however long, and they've been told not to send any signal in case the, the Kree uh, pick up on it and come to destroy the space station. Yeah. It's, um, you know, we get the the whole fight then once the Star Force do arrive here um, and you see, as you say, them attacking um, Carol Danvers or, mm-hmm. or Vers as though she is an enemy, that everything that's gone before, that you know, there's no one having a second thought here. Exactly. They're all just absolutely at her. And, of yeah. course, we do get that nice connection with the Tesseract uh showing up as well which is very very cool and we find out that that's why the scrolls have been there yeah that they're protecting the uh the tesseract um that's on board the space station a nice little callback because this effectively is the second avengers movie remember captain america the first avenger was set in 1945 then we have this one in the timeline and then it will go on to iron man right so uh so bringing the tesseract through those two films gives it a nice little connection to the original uh run of of uh, marvel movies so Nice little touch there. But it's Talos' wife and Talos' daughter who are there on the space station. Again, humanizing the Skrull character, if you want to say humanizing, I guess. Maybe that's a humanist of me. (laughs) I'm not too sure. But there is one character that comes right to the forefront here. If you haven't been a fan of Goose since the first moment that you saw posters of the character... I think this probably has cemented him in Marvel <laughs> cinematic history. Uh, Goose is this lovely cat that has been taking a nice bit of affection to Nick Fury and kind of, again, humanized Nick Fury a bit. You know, in the past, we've seen him as the all-knowing, uh, all-action Nick Fury who hates everybody. In here, he thoroughly trusts this little cat who's t- taken a shine to him. Absolutely gorgeous. As he's being carried and taken out of the space station by Nick Fury, we suddenly realize that the joke that we thought was happening with the scrolls saying they hate him because it's a flirk and their natural born enemy. Well, it turns out they were right. This isn't a cat. He is a creature from a universe that can effectively open its mouth and swallow people whole. <laughs> well, we do have that fantastic moment where the, the Kree have, you know, that, that scanner that goes threat level maximum and they, mm-hmm. they, they put on the, the Hannibal Lecter mask onto uh, Goose, <laughs> which is really cool, um, of which, you know, Nick Fury mentions he's not Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. And then they scan Nick Fury where it's like threat level minimum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, what is going on here? <laughs> uh, really nice moment. And then, yeah, uh, we we see that Goose has a few things, I was going to say up his sleeve, but cats don't have sleeves. But it's more that he has a few things down his throat that he can kind of use to, um, yeah, I suppose, kill and eat anything. So it's like... Okay then. Uh, so and it's just that that moment where uh, the 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 realization that this cute little uh, ginger kitty is a killing machine. Exactly. You know, we've had him floating in space. Um, so now he's just killing people in space. Yeah. It, it really does kind of come to alien. Yeah, there definitely was a little call back to Groot in Guardians of the Galaxy, where he picks up a couple of Kree with those tentacles that are coming out of his mouth and slamming them against all the walls. That's definitely like that moment with Groot in Guardians where he stabs through the bodies of a bunch of the enemies and smacks them off walls, right? That that cute character turning into a vicious creature for five seconds. Uh, a nice little touch. Yeah. Well, to do a Kent Brockman on it, I, for one, welcome our Flurkin Overlords. <laughs> 
so I, I knew this was coming again. Um, the, 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 the cat's character of Goose is based on Chewie um, in the comic mm. books. Um, obviously, they, Chewie, couldn't, they couldn't use that name. And they, well, they, they could. It's a, it's, a Disney, it's a Disney name. I think they really wanted to create and slice out you know, this character as their, their own for this universe. Because you don't want to go into the Disney shop and find Chewie beside Chewie, in which Chewie is the Chewie that my kid wants uh, for Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Goose, obviously a reference to, uh, to Top Gun, um, the pilot uh, who was Tom Cruise's partner in Top Gun. And obviously her being a fighter pilot, it would make sense that, her, that this cat in the movie would be called Goose. It's a nice, a nice little reference back. Yeah, fell in love straight away as soon as we see the cat making noise floating as they go up into space for the first time. <laughs> and you just see it going... Exactly. I, uh, for our fellow defenders who don't know, I have a cat um, here. Mm-hmm. Um, my cat is a special cat, I think is the best way of putting it. Um, yes. <laughs> she's pretty much blind. She runs into mm-hmm. a lot of things. Um, is not coordinated like a normal cat. Cannot mm-hmm. really jump. So seeing a cat floating in space, kind of doing that, that is my cat. And I just went, oh, okay, cool. I, my Super cat cute. could be a flurkin because, well, maybe she just, it would make more sense. <laughs> She's very cute, though. You have, have to have to show some photographs of, uh, of your gorgeous uh, podcast like we have with our Charlie as well. So um, it's interesting that all three of us have cats, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> right. It is, That's isn't it, really? <laughs> But absolutely love uh, Goose in here. I do love that after that moment that it's not long before they reveal that it is a flirt and not a cat because you could have people in the audience going, oh, hang on a second. Did we just go into Looney Tunes here with the cat and <laughs> reacting to that moment going into space? But you realize this is actually a, a creature that has traveled throughout space. You probably should have been in a chair with a seatbelt maybe or a cat box possibly, not just roaming around the plane. Well, yeah, hopefully he got his jabs and had his uh, pet pa- passport as well. Um... <laughs> his pet space passport. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And yeah, the battle is continuing. We have Ronan, the accuser, arriving to Earth with that awesome, like hexagonal um, transfer across the, across the galaxy. That uh, that jump ship moment when all three of them arrive into space, uh, all three ships arrive into space over Earth. I think that's a really cool moment. I know Ronan uh, always got a bit of criticism back in his time in Guardians of the Galaxy because there wasn't really much to him. But that's probably because they had to build, you know, seven individual characters with all the Guardians as well. So it's nice to see him back and give him a little bit of a moment here. I'm not sure whether he's an accuser yet. Uh, He has the title of Ronan the Accuser by the time it gets to Guardians of the Galaxy. But he talks about the accusers. I'm not sure, sure whether he's a member of them or he wants to be part of them. Well, as always, I've been calling him Ronan the Destroyer. So uh, we are, <laughs> yes, we're in uncharted territory. Maybe he is uh, Ronan the uh, two-star Michelin chef or um, well, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Ronan the two-star Michelin chef. Nice. <laughs> I just want to talk about the, the, the hero scene. Mm-hmm. I love this. Oh, yes. I love this scene. I, I, I know that it does have a waft of um, your standard hero origin, hero getting powered up scene, like where you just stand up. But for me, this just felt so right. This mm-hmm. scene where you see her kind of communing with the Supreme Intelligence. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. And I haven't even talked about whole, the whole Marvel bit in this. Mm-hmm. So that uh, Annette Bennett's character was Marvel. The, the original Captain Marvel, um, mm-hmm. which uh, and the, the Lawson character and everything like that, I thought it was just 
fantastic that they, that's how they introduced it. Yeah, because it is a different way. She's not she's not the previous Captain Marvel in this movie, right? She's not she didn't have those powers that Carol yeah. had. Carol gets the powers from a different a different source, I suppose, in this movie, and nobody's had those powers in the past. I suppose is the big difference here. Marvel is just a scientist trying to save the Skrull Society, right? That's the big difference here. Yeah, and it's just, that was a nice reveal. I did like having Annette Benning as a villain in this movie, as the Supreme Intelligence. I was trying to work out whether the Supreme Intelligence was a construct of Jan Rog to control Carol Danvers, or whether it does exist. I know it exists in the comic books, I get that, but every time she's, she asks Jan Rog, who is that you see when you go and see the Supreme Intelligence, he doesn't tell her. He never says anything to her. And is that because it doesn't exist for anybody else in Cree society, that they've all created this idea around her so that he can just pop on this headset effectively and go ooh, wipe your mind of all those notions of being a superhero because it would make sense it would i think though that they are gonna use the the whole ai supreme intelligence is there um mm-hmm. piece because they talked about joining the supreme intelligence uh from the comic books it's that when a kree soldier or kree person dies their intelligence, their their memories and intelligence are downloaded Join. into the supreme intelligence, and yeah. you become part of the 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 ruler of the Kree because your intelligence is added to the supreme intelligence. Um, yeah, yeah, and so that's how no great intelligence. No, you no. literally go from intelligence to supreme. You're, there's mm-hmm. nothing in between. You can't be just be. That's probably why Marvel left. She was somewhere in between. You know, she just needed to get <laughs> out. Unless, unless lots of people with average intelligence die at the same time and then they bring down the overall <laughs> intelligence from supreme to great. <laughs> that might be one problem with it. But no, I know exactly what you mean, Chris. This this moment, the hero moment that we haven't really talked about a little bit. We talked, John's talked a little bit about her getting memories back over her time. But what we've been seeing is all of those moments in Carol's life where she fell is the point. And what we finally see in this breakout moment, this this hero moment, is she sees those moments where she fell but where she got back up it's kind of the marvel equivalent of the wonderful scene with alfred pennyworth in uh, in dark knight where he says to bruce wayne why do we fall master bruce so we can get back up so this is captain marvel's revelation that actually yes i did fall but the reason why i'm a strong powerful hero is because i always got back up every time i fell yeah really nice moments it was a great moment because uh, it, it gave me actually same kind of um, goosebumps and feeling as the Miles Morales um, sequence in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, mm-hmm. where where he gets um, control of his powers. He understands what it's all about, and I like the fact that you know it's it's the same here. Everything connects. the The dots connect for Carol Danvers, and the 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 memories of her past as a test pilot her present as someone who is helping the scroll fight the Kree, but also her, her time as a Kree operative in the um, Star Force. And I, I love how that all comes together and this power that has been imparted to her from Dr. Lawson's um, test cell uh, and um, energy cell for, for interstellar space travel is just so so good uh, you know you see us stop all the the missiles that have been um uh, fired on earth by uh, ronan the uh two-star michelin chef <laughs> and uh, how you uh, you know he's like going they don't have this technology to do that and then she mm-hmm. comes up it, it slightly reminded me of superman with zod actually where they're punching their way around uh, metropolis mm-hmm. uh, and the punch comes in and you follow uh, the camera follows it, it just kind of felt a bit like that where she's 
Um, or maybe even like Banana Man, the way he swims through space. Um, you have she, such weird references. I do, <laughs> but it, I loved how they showed her kind of punching the, her way through one of the Kree destroyers that mm-hmm. have come through. And, you know, that blows up and it's kind of like, you know, you see um, Ronan's face just fall and drop as he's like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to, I can't do anything here, but we must remember this one. Uh, but I really liked that. I, I liked her sort of just making that statement to to Ronan, the uh, proto-accuser. Yeah, yeah, really cool. Um, but we do have Carol as well, um, making sure that everybody gets away from uh, yeah. from the space station uh, by... I love the, the bait and switch here with the, uh, with the Happy Days lunchbox that's supposed to be carrying the Tesseract, and she is carrying that the whole time while all of the rest of the crew are attacking her, and she gives, well, maybe not gives, but... Um, Let's say Goose swallows the uh, the Tesseract uh, and takes it off ship with, along with the help of Nick Fury and, and Maria Rambeau. Um, nice little moment there where we have uh, we have the Tesseract that's all powerful, and now we know one of the Infinity Stones being swallowed by a cat, <laughs> a flurkin, a flurkin. I know, <laughs> but a nice moment. Yeah, absolutely. Where did the Tesseract? How did the Tesseract get there? Sorry, this is just a question I'm just thinking about now. <laughs> so the Tesseract was found by S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, under the ice yep. and snow in, Harris, uh, in Harris the Arctic. Um, but it seems like that it may have been uh, got into the hands of uh, of the scroller, may have gotten into the hands of uh, the good doctor um, but because she, she knows what it was. So Yeah, no, I, I think it's ultimately in the first Avenger, the Tesseract, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. is, is more the army. Uh, it's the U.S. Army. So U.S. intelligence, and then she's working for right. um, the U.S. Air Force on this Pegasus. And maybe because she's come to mm-hmm. Earth because she realizes that this is a power source, in a sense. True, true. Because that's how they describe it, really, in the first few uh, MCU movies. Is this Certainly, um, the Red Skull talks about it as a power source, and mm-hmm. they use it uh, for the, the weapons. He created all the weapons yeah. of Hydra with so, it. Yeah. Um, I think it's in the hands of the U.S. military. Um, S.H.I.E.L.D. is obviously involved mm-hmm. with that. Um, and then it's being used by Lawson uh, to develop this yeah. this energy cell. Mm-hmm. And then obviously probably after this, that's when it's really just held by S.H.I.E.L.D. And you have that moment where Loki comes into the S.H.I.E.L.D. facility exactly. to, to take it back. So I think that's okay. the kind of timeline of it. Cool. Yeah. That, makes, yeah, that, that, makes sense. Sense. that makes sense. sense. And they probably, yeah. S.H.I.E.L.D. probably thought it exploded with um, uh, with uh, Lawson and Danvers when the ship the ship exploded. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. This all makes yeah. sense now. Um, so, taking it back, I just want to talk about that one quick scene. So we talked to yes, that hero moment for me was fantastic. I just loved it. I loved every part of it, um, and it, it's reminiscent of me of more the Spider-Man scene from well, Homecoming, but from the comic books where he has everything, all the weight of the world on their shoulders, and they have to break, mm-hmm. stand up, and break free. Yes, um, yeah. And so, and this kind of takes me back to one of the reasons I love this film now. And it's it, the more it, this always happens, the more we talk about things, the more I kind of go, oh, I did like this more than I thought. And I kind mm-hmm. of like, I'm liking more elements of it. This subverted the origin, comic book origin story. This, okay. The, okay. So, 
basically the bad guys are not the bad guys he thought they were. The good guys were not the good guys he thought they were. The mm-hmm. the, the the standard stand up hero moment wasn't the standard stand up hero moment he thought it was. The, yeah. the the partner was not the partner you thought it was. Like everything has been flipped, uh, or at least tweaked in a certain way that it's it's fresh. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right, Chris. Even, even the origin story isn't the origin story you thought you thought you were seeing because, well, actually, she's been Captain Marvel or she's been Carol Danvers with these superpowers for six years. She yeah. just didn't know it. It's all been repressed and held back by the, by the Kree who are trying to get this information out of her. They have repressed her abilities that she had for six years before this. I think that's really cool. You're absolutely right. Chris. Yeah. And then that takes us to that that dogfight scene where you literally see the power of the photon in or the tesseract power in mm-hmm. and that's actually what it is she has infinity stone power within her mm-hmm. the power of the photons or the photon blast that they call she calls it mm-hmm. so which is cool and then you see her go you see her go full danvers full captain marvel um, and I'm just like that. That scene where she's flying through space to stop Ronan, where she's flying back down on Earth, where mm-hmm. you see like just even when she's learning her powers, when she's fighting the other uh, Star Force guys, yeah, uh, and you see her like pick them up and throw them. And I want the first time you see her fly. That for me was just the the the, the it was the best part of it that that scene because mm-hmm. you see her like just did she get knocked out of space. And then it was just like you see her fall and she closes her eyes and just as about she's hit, she, it, the camera pans away. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say I love the mask. I love the touch back to the to the comic book version of the character as well where she has the mask that captures her hair like yeah. a fin at the top of yeah. her head. It's cool. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I love the fact that she goes proper mohawk here. Yeah. Uh, really, really good. It's really cool. Let's get on to our point number five. We've got a couple more uh, things to talk about really um, because we have... Carol Danvers leaving Earth. Um, very important at the end of this film that not only does she remember who she is and become the hero that she is and saves the Earth, she also needs to leave because we can't have her being here for the next 20 years while all the rest of the superheroes rise. She needs to go back and finish the war that's going on between the Korean scrolls. She saved one family and a few refugees that have been on the space station, but she needs to go back and start out the rest of the battle between the Kree and the scrolls. Yeah, and can I just quickly check with you guys? Mm-hmm. She effectively pushes the starship. At the, or, at like, the very end. Yeah, it's kind of like it's broken down and she's giving it a jump start. Basically. Yeah, pretty she's, much. Yeah, she's the one yeah. sending it at like the speed of light or whatever. I, I thought that was really quite cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It kind of saddened me a little bit because every time I've seen Captain Marvel, she always seems to have this space station that's out just above Earth, and she's looking over the Earth. So it kind of saddens me that she's gotten rid of this space station now. The whole time I saw it, I was like, oh, that's her base, of course. That's where, that's how they're going to get Captain Marvel's base. But we're going to then see, uh, you'll see the sword, which is uh, a space version of S.H.I.E.L.D., I think is probably mm. the best way to think. They have yeah. a space station. So I'm pretty sure you're going to get sword at some point in Possibly. Phase 4 or Phase 5. <laughs> um, because these films are doing well. They're never going to stop. And there is mm-hmm. a host of uh, background comics for them to work on and pull from. So, yeah, at some point you're going to get Sword, the film. Um, anyway. Maybe, maybe. Well, the comics have been going since, what, 1950, 1960, you know. So uh, we've only been going in the, in the uh, movies for 10 years. Yeah. So uh, we've got loads and loads more to explore. I love the fact that she goes away. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact, that I love this scene where she explains why. 
Um, like when she talks to Young Rog and says, I'm coming for you guys. Clean up mm-hmm. your act. And then she yeah. explains to Fury about she has to go. She gave her word to Marvel that she would help. But Marvel has a much better ring to it. It does. It does. <laughs> oh, I want to see how they're going to pull this one because she hasn't been called Captain Marvel. Nope. Nope. And in fact, I think uh, she probably isn't a captain as a pilot. I think she might have a higher rank than that. So I'm not too sure May- why. I kept thinking they kept calling her Major. I'm not really too sure how they're going to do it. But I know, like, Captain America, even though he's Captain America, has kind of retired that name. He's now Steve Rogers. You know, he's no longer living under the name of Captain America. A bunch of the other characters aren't necessarily called exactly their character in the comic books. You know, I know Star-Lord, Peter Quill, tries to get everybody to call him Star-Lord. But remember, nobody really calls him that. (laughs) Only himself. And do you think that um, Goose should be called Major Tom? (laughs) Nice job. All right, on that note, let's get on to our extra points and post-credit scenes, because there's two huge post-credit scenes. Uh, number one, what do you think? The mid- mid-credit scene, the Avengers, Steve Rogers, Black Widow, Bruce Banner, James Rhodes, all at Avengers HQ looking at the devastation around the world that happened after the big snapping, I suppose, uh, in the last Avengers movie. We see the uh, faces of all the people that have been missing, including um, Ant-Man, who we don't think is gone. Uh, we see him up on screen as well as they're looking at all of the people that are that are gone. And we see they're also in possession of the communications device, the pager, I suppose, that's been upgraded by uh, by Captain Marvel for Nick Fury to use. So we know Nick Fury disappeared at the end of the last Avengers movie, uh, just like so many other people disappearing into the uh, into the ether when uh, the snapping happened. Um but they are in possession of this. They've been watching it for however many months they've been monitoring the situation around the world, and then it goes off. And we see the arrival of a kind of pissed off Carol Danvers. Did you guys get that? Did she look a bit angry, a bit, bit being called away from whatever she was doing to go, where is Nick Fury? Uh, yes, I've been hearing the phone ring for the last six months. What do you want? <laughs> it's kind of felt like that. <laughs> Did you guys get that? Or was it just Yeah, me? It, no, it was. And it was a little weird. Yeah. So I think I, like it was just literally like blink and she's there. And I'm like. Okay, you did haven't explained that. Okay, what? She literally glows as Fury makes a joke of, you're glowing, but I guess you knew that. Um, (laughs) Like, so how she just suddenly breaks into, like, there was no explosion or anything. She's just suddenly behind them. So unless she's not there. She's Batman. Unless it's a hologram. Well, maybe. I'm I'm kind of thinking 20 years, and we don't know too much about the powers by the end of this movie, but we know she's powerful, so... Maybe she does have the power to arrive somewhere, I suppose. <laughs> you know, hey, Flash can walk into a building by, by moving fast enough to go through molecules. Uh, Maybe true, she's the true. same, you know? So uh, so we do have a bit of that. I just feel like she, maybe the reason she's been away for 20 years is fighting that war was a bit more than she thought it was going to be. Yeah. So she's kind of gone, I still have yeah. something to do up there. So if you want me, Fury, remember that moment where she gives Fury the adjusted pager and goes... This isn't for social calls. I don't want you calling me to tell me what's going on with your life. This is only for really big emergencies. Yeah. If the career of the scroll come back, call me. Otherwise, don't want to hear from you. Well, and I think we have to we have to assume that that war has been more of a problem mm-hmm. because Ronan the Accuser in Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, again, though, we have to remember there's a bit of a flashback there. But yeah. is that why he goes after the uh, power gem? Yeah. Because he knows what he's up against with yeah. uh, Carol Danvers. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
Yeah, I, I, I liked uh, this post-credit scene. Um, but yeah, I definitely got the idea that she wasn't happy to be back on Earth. But I liked the fact that she had come back because we just had the reasoning for that farewell from Earth. So it, yeah. it kind of, that proximity to that was quite nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the thing is we need to remember as well is that the snapping happened across the universe. But only that's, that's people true. on Earth or people who knew Thanos will understand what happened. Mm-hmm. So yeah. essentially for, for Carol Danvers, for Captain Marvel, six months ago, literally people just started being dusted. Yeah, absolutely. Half the scrolls, half the Kree yeah. army. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get that she's in the middle of a fight, a battlefield, and then everyone starts just dusting. Yeah. Like, yeah, we'll yeah. get a scene like that, because that's probably why she's like, why did you call me? Yeah. Because I'm in the middle of trying to figure out what the hell happened to half the universe. Um, exactly, yeah. And yeah. that's what she thinks it's just fury it's kind of earth, some kind of earth problem yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah yeah but it does give our first real indication you know i know that we've seen the trailer for for the upcoming movie but it gives us our first real indication that we are going to be really dealing with the effects of this of the dusting that thanos did it's not going to just be reversed at the start of the movie or it wasn't in somebody's dream or anything stupid like that we're actually going to see how this plays out for all of our remaining heroes, which I think is going to be so interesting to see in one month's time, guys. I know. It's crazy. It's nuts. But we do have another post-credit scene. I kind of wish everybody take a cue from Guardians of the Galaxy and do good credits because we're now sitting through 25, 30 minutes of credits, it feels like, (laughs) with the amount of CGI work that's going on and computerized work that's going on. But when you get the scene right at the end, I kind of think it's okay, right? When you get a scene for every cat lover, you've all heard that moment when your cat is having a hairball and trying to get it up. But we have Goose, who's sitting in Nick Fury's <laughs> office, and then jumps up on his table, starts that little... <coughs> and every single one of us all know what that means. Uh-oh. The Tesseract's coming back. <laughs> I, yeah, so good. I love this scene. I thought this mm-hmm. was just hilarious, because you get one serious, one fun scene. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I heard a lot of groans in the the audience because people were like, "Was that it? That's all we got?" I'm like, "Well, hold ah, on, no. you got the you got the other scene." So okay. I, if anything, I was like, maybe flip them. If you had to flip them to like the the fun scene in the middle, the the po- the mid credits, and then the the this other the, the original scene at the end, that maybe people were going, "Oh, okay, that's get it." But anyway, I loved it. I thought it was fun. Yeah. So this leads me to a massive question. Where has Goose been? He's been in Nick Fury's office. Yeah, he's in Nick Fury's office. For the next 10 to 20 years? But it depends how long he lives for. Yeah, we don't know how long We don't know what his uh, age cycle is. If he has the lifespan of a cat, maybe as a good one, it could be up to 20. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, so, okay, maybe they have to explain that. They have to say that. Or it I'm could like, be 200 years old. It's a flirting. It could be 200 years old. It could have gone back to his home planet. Um, but that's what I want to know. I, I'm just like, this This is the bit I, I like. I would have liked an E.T. phone home moment where he just, <laughs> he kind of, he coughs up the Tesseract and the, and a communicator puts his paw down and you literally see him teleport away. Just to explain, because literally you're going to have people now for the next five years asking until we get the, it confirmed by a writer or something where um, is goose i think it's entirely possible we might find that out in the next avengers movie <laughs> i think that it's, is true you know 
I think the good thing as well here is that actually Derek called out that we were going to get a football um, mm-hmm. post-credit scene whilst we were in the movie, 100%. which was really yeah. uh, interesting. Uh, and <laughs> I was saying, I bet you when that post-credit scene comes up, that's going to be goose yeah. with the verbal. And um, something that we haven't talked about was um, I also leant across and said, do you think it's the, a, a cat scratch um across uh, Nick Fury's eye that yes, of he's going to get attacked because all the time I kept thinking as soon as we knew it was a flirking I was like oh okay uh, if he's got that kind of power maybe he just does something that involves uh, Nick Fury now I was thinking it was with the tentacles but mm-hmm. ultimately the little like, uh, cat scratch across uh, Nick Fury's eye um, obviously leads to um, a, a kind of a milk tray kind of selection <laughs> of, of eyeballs yes. as brought in by Coulson uh-huh. um, to, to decide and to be honest I can get why uh, Fury went with the eye patch that's far far better but it does explain the little three scratch marks yep. above uh, Coulson's eye you from know, the other movies. Absolutely. It's been called out that um, Fury explained the reason he lost the eye was it was the last time he ever trusted someone wholly and completely. Um, so I guess he learned a lesson there. <laughs> Never trust a cat wholly and completely. <laughs> Even a flurkin that is, a, that is masquerading as a cat. Um, Never trust them wholly and completely. Um, but I think all of us as cat owners have also experienced that moment where you think, uh-oh, I think I've gone a little bit too far with the cat here. <laughs> he, seemed, he was lovely and friendly a second ago, and suddenly he's attacking me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I just, I love the character. I love the explanation. I, I want to see Fury and Goose have, like, separated, and then all of a sudden they come back together, and it's just like, hey, how are you? And you just kind of get that kind of, like... Last time we saw you, you took my eye out. Like, what's going but on? But I don't, I don't think Nick cares. And it wasn't the last time, remember, he brought him to the office. He's he's sitting in the box there. I'd actually love to see the reaction of the rest of the Avengers if they saw Nick Fury and the way he interacts with Goose. Because it, that was a lovely moment for me, again, seeing his heart, who's a character who's been very strong and very aggressive for so many years. I loved seeing his reaction to this lovely little kitty that he sees, yeah. picking him up and petting him, you know. If you see the rest of the Avengers reacting to that, I think that would be a bit of fun uh, to have yeah. in a movie that's probably going to be, again, a bit dark with our with our future Avengers. Anyway, guys, let's get on to our Easter eggs and the other notes for the movie. Uh, there's loads of stuff in this movie. We can talk about it for five more hours, and we've got lots of feedback to talk about as well. So, uh, Chris, I'm going to give you the cameo Easter egg because I think it's one of the best. Well, yes, thank you so much, uh, because this really was just so good for me oh it was just first of all the the film opens with um the marvel 10-year studio um kind of animation but uh, this time replaced with all, all the characters are replaced with the ca- previous cameos of stanley which was and yeah. we did get in memory of stan yeah that instantly took away the bad taste that punisher left in my mouth yeah. after their awful placement of their uh thanks stanley um, yeah, it was lovely. I thought it was really, really nice, and definitely a few a few members of the audience had a little uh, a little moment um, just at the start. A nice way to to commemorate standing. Uh, yeah, exactly. And it was the first thing you did, like, and that's how you do it. You you yeah. kind of you open with lovely memories of Stan from these ten years of films. Um, mm-hmm. But we do get him pretty early on in this. Uh, we get him on the train as well, and mm-hmm. he's 
Um, essentially just repeating a line on a piece of paper. True believers and excelsior. I and mean, true believers, excelsior. Um, which is fantastic. And like, uh, for 99, for, well, let's say 80% of the audience, uh, who didn't read what the script he was reading was, or while it was just a script, it's like, hey, that's, he says excelsior and he says true believers. That's a nice cameo. For everyone else, he's reading a film, a script for a film called Mallrats which is none other than Kevin Smith's film, uh, where he plays himself, plays Stan Lee, and he goes in and meets Jason Lee in the in the mall and mm-hmm. basically says those lines. And it was the first cameo, if you want to call it that, of, uh, it was basically, well, it's not, it wasn't a cameo in a Marvel film. It was the first time he was on as himself, but in that kind of cameo format in a film. Yeah, um, yeah. especially a, a Kevin Smith film, which is highly comic booky um, or comic book themed. Um, yes, definitely. Uh, it was just fantastic. Uh, yeah. And if anyone gets a chance, uh, jump onto Kevin Smith's Twitter or his Instagram. He has an emotional post up about it, and it's really nice to see. Uh, so yeah. It's 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 nice because it, obviously uh, Kevin Smith and Stan Lee were very close. Like I think it was just nice, two nice cameos. The very opening Absolutely. and then. That, that that cameo cameo scene for me were just yeah, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really cool. Um, one other little Easter egg that I noticed um, when Carol arrives in Blockbuster Video, she picks up a box set of uh, a, a movie called The Right Stuff. Um, I don't know whether you recognize that. I was wondering whether she was going to pick up uh, Top Gun or whether it was going to be The Right Stuff. Uh, right Stuff is a nonfiction film about the first um, 15 years of the space race. So I love that she picks it up and looks at it and kind of smiles going, oh, okay, this is kind of what I'm doing. I'm in space and coming back to Earth. So uh, just a nice little nod for uh, for the character to, to recognize that this is something else going on on Earth. Um, not too sure, John, you mentioned it as well. I'm not too sure about the true lies blowing off Arnold's head. I'm sure there's loads of negative implications onto this because, you know, there's that whole conversation that James Cameron had about getting rid of comic book movies because they're not furthering the medium. And and obviously Arnold Schwarzenegger is not the most well-liked person in Hollywood at the moment. Um, But I think it's more of a nod to Jamie Lee Curtis. The fact that she most recently uh, has the highest record for the biggest debut of any female-led movie over the age of 55. So I think this was just a little... uh, a little high five to uh, to Jamie Lee Curtis to have her as the sole person standing on the uh, the True Lies poster. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. As True Lies just always seems to be referred to as the Arnold Schwarzenegger James Cameron movie, whereas the actual heart of that movie is Jamie Lee Curtis. I think she's absolutely brilliant in that. Coming off the back of of uh, Fish Called Wanda, another great Jamie Lee Curtis movie. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, really good time for her career as well. So I think that's I think that's a nice little nod there. Um, I wanted to to more easter eggs the first being the um protector initiative and uh, that we see fury writing yes. up um which was a really nice nod it was like this is what causes fury to begin his um the 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 creation of the uh the protector initiative and then we get a scene where he looks at uh, carol danvers and her call sign which mm-hmm. it was avenger Yes. Um, and that's how we get the Avengers initiative or protocol. Interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, we've always been calling Captain America the first Avenger, but he never went by the title of Avenger. The first person to go by the title of Avenger is actually Carol Danvers. Yeah. yeah. You know? Really nice. good nod. Yeah. So this is how it all starts. It's fantastic. Absolutely. And also answers that criticism that everybody always had as, wait a minute, why are they Avengers? Shouldn't they be giving revenge or the attackers or <laughs> something like that? It's not that. It's all just coming from this name of uh, of the person that came down, saved the world and went back to space. It's a lovely guy. Lovely idea. 
<laughs> so there is a, the, the train station scene, um, which is a nice, uh, there's a nice piece of Easter egg here where you see um, Brie Larson, Carol Danvers nod, or when she's versed at this stage, nod to a redheaded woman. Uh, mm-hmm. This redheaded woman is Kelly Sue DeConnick, who is the uh, writer of the Captain Marvel in the comic books. She, one of the ladies who actually reintroduced Captain Marvel as the Carol Danvers we know now. The, the, Very the, cool. The, this is like, and it was kind of, it's a nice, it literally just, it was a nod to a red-hooded woman. And I was like, nah, that's pretty cool. It's a, especially as a, a good way of doing it. Yeah. And finally, I just kind of want to call out two things. The the, the Marvel uh, Lawson piece uh, storyline here is a bit of a mix of the original Captain Marvel uh, or Marvel um, kind of storyline and Carol Danvers being there. And that's how Carol gets her powers and how Captain Marvel kind of became a protector of Earth and things like that. Um, and then also it's a bit of a mix of the Ultimate Universe which we've seen mm-hmm. uh, the MCU pull from quite a lot as well. So yeah. the Captain Marvel of the Ultimate Universe. So I would recommend, if you any of our fellow defenders, check out the Captain Marvel of the Ultimate Universe. It's quite a good storyline there. Um, and it's definitely interesting. It's completely different to what we have here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then also, if you get a chance, look at the, the reimagining of the, the Captain Marvel kind of uh, origin that's going on, which is, I think, the life of Captain Marvel. Right, I'm sure we'll get loads and loads more Easter eggs as uh, as we see this movie on Blu-ray in the second time or third time we go and watch this in yes. cinema. But uh, overall, what we want to know right now is, do we defend this movie? So, John, do you defend Captain Marvel? Yes, I do defend uh, Captain Marvel. I give it four and a half retro flurkin meows out of five. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really, I really liked it. Um, it it's it's a, a movie I wasn't. Um, really in any way knowledgeable about uh in terms of the character there were characters in there like nick fury like the scroll like the kree that i'd kind of been introduced to certainly the scroll and i love the fact that there were these huge revelations that really pivoted this entire movie mm-hmm. uh, around the scrolls being the persecuted refugees and not simply just as evil infiltrating uh race uh, that they kind of can are, are portrayed within the comics so that to me was fantastic because you know it really informs uh how um we see uh Vers at the start and then as carol danvers as Vers at the start and then it, it moves everything along it, it really good nods back to the previous universe with the tesseract uh, and of course with nick fury being in there as well so it was really uh, really good to see. Yeah, so I, I absolutely love this. I thought, you know, it may have been a little s- sort of sluggish at the start, I think, for me, but it just really ramped up. It was full of action, uh, loads of different references. I thought uh, Brie Larson as Carol Danvers was great. I mm-hmm. thought the story uh, with um, Annette Benning as the supreme intelligence, but also her mentor uh, at, when she was back on Earth, uh, and just everything interwove really, really nicely. And, and you have, you know, Nick Fury being cute with uh, Goose, Goose being cute back and then being horrendously, like, uh, vicious with its tentacles coming <laughs> out of its mouth. Um, and then, yeah, we see it just uh, Brie Larson's character, uh, uh, Carol Danvers, uh, coming and being introduced with those post-credit scenes um, for Endgame uh, in April. So, yeah, I there's a lot uh, in this that I, I love, and I really 
would love to see it again because again just talking about it here today uh, it, it's it's added uh, so much um and i the, my enjoyment of it i realized i enjoyed it uh, a lot more than i thought i did yeah. so um for me this was um an absolute defend yes That's so right. i do defend captain marvel yes we had that 10 minutes uh, interval again where about an hour and a half into the movie, it goes to, it goes for a break for 10 minutes. And I turned to John and he's just got this big smile on his face going, this is really good. And then it came back for that last part of the movie, that last third of the movie. And it's going, this is manic. It's wonderful. This whole last third was great and did change everything for the first two thirds, really. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, so, Chris, do you defend this Marvel movie? Yes, I, I definitely defend this film. Don't want to get into too much. Uh, we talked about a lot, pretty much all the reasons for it. Um, my biggest part about this is it turns and twists the origin, the generic origin film uh, on its head. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, everything I thought I knew going into this film, I didn't know. Um, and uh, like the, the from the Marvel reveal to the Creed Skull reveal to. Um, and how they changed her there and the Tesseract and even even Chewie uh, I mean Goose like how they flick that around and the 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 Fury piece like there were some elements which were like yeah okay um, it, it's quite uh, formulaic but they made so many changes and they made so many unique takes and so many Diff, they zigged when I thought they would zag. That I just enjoyed the hell out of this film. I don't know where I'd rank it yet. I need to see it one more time before I'd kind of uh-huh. top rank it and wherever. But um, it's an interesting character. It's a great introduction to the character. Um, and I'm really excited to see where it kind of leads in the next 30 days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Derek, on that, do you defend Captain Marvel? I kind of revealed my hand very early on in this movie, didn't I? Uh, <laughs> I absolutely, yeah, I absolutely defend this movie. Um, I want to tell you a little quick story. There's, there's only one time in my entire life I ever wrote to Marvel. Um, there was a story going around that there was going to be an upcoming Nick Fury television series. Um, they were putting that in the works. There was a writer attached. There was someone that was going to write a movie or a TV show, depending on how it was going to work out. Um, I put together a soundtrack for that potential movie. Um, which would be intros to to certain characters from the Marvel Universe, that Nick Fury would be the gateway to the universe for all of these characters because S.H.I.E.L.D. works with everybody from the Avengers to Fantastic Four, all of those kind of characters. Uh, Wrote away, sent all of these details and, you know, a big book effectively of all the reasons why I chose certain songs for certain characters. It included two songs by the band Garbage. It included a song done by Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails. Can you guess where I'm going with this? Yeah. I got a letter back from the office of Stan Lee saying really good idea hopefully in the future when we do get a nick fury series this will be the way we'll go hey guess what that year was 1995 the same year this movie is set a movie featuring the character nick fury my favorite character um on screen alongside carol danvers captain marvel this movie feels like one of those awesome marvel two-in-one books where my favorite character nick fury is standing right beside a character that I don't know much about, and I'm learning about her through Nick Fury, exactly the way I would have when I was reading comic books hmm. and reading all of Nick Fury's adventures. This was like as if they reached into my brain and went, how would we make this film perfect for Derek? We'll set it in a year when he was reading Nick Fury, and we'll put all the music in there, like the music that Derek would have chosen for Nick Fury, and we'll ha- introduce this brand new character the way we'll introduce her. It was 
absolutely like my dream idea for for a movie. We've had this a number of times now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with, you know, the Captain America, the first Avenger effectively being Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos just with Captain America in there. We've had Civil War, which was effectively a S.H.I.E.L.D. movie with Captain America in there. And now we have Captain Marvel, which is a Nick Fury movie with a team up with Captain Marvel. That's awesome to me. I loved it. I think they did a great job. They got the humor just right. And if I thought it was slow at the beginning, everything that happened at the end made the slow bits at the beginning make much more sense to me. So the next time I see it, they're going to be much more fun to watch. So absolutely enjoy it. Completely defend it. I'll be going to see this many times and it will sit proudly in my, my Blu-ray collection once it comes out. Oh, God, yeah. When we get to the end of uh, Endgame, I'm going to do mm-hmm. a rewatch of everything and it will be by the time I get to Captain Marvel at that point because it, it will be out on Blu-ray and I'll be like, yeah, that just perfectly set it up. Exactly, exactly. Or actually, but do you start with... If we're going chronologically, it's going to be at the beginning because <laughs> that's going to make things difficult. You go Captain America, First Avenger, then you go uh, Captain Marvel, then into Iron Man and all the rest of them, and then back, finish with Endgame, and then obviously on to Spider-Man, right? Yeah. The next Spider-Man yeah. movie. So it's going to be an interesting one. Absolutely. Let's get into some feedback, Chris. Um, I know John had to step out, but he has done a little bit of feedback here as well, but we've got loads of other feedback to talk about. Um, first feedback is an email from 084, who sent in uh, their thoughts to our email address at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Uh, Say so many thoughts about the new movie. Here they are, as unjumbled as possible. Right off the bat, I was in love with this character. I don't mean in a romantic way. Like, I mean, it's Brie Larson and I'm a human being, so partly in a romantic way. <laughs> but it's so great to see a protagonist kick all the ass and have the most fun while doing it. She's mocking scrolls, she's returning tiny little pew-pew shots with gigantic photon blasts, and she's taking absolutely none of anybody's expletive. Oh, Captain, my Captain. I did notice a couple of weird shots with the de-aging, more so on Coulson and Fury, but not enough to take me out of it. It was great to see these two back in the day, and I'm glad that, for the most part, it didn't completely destroy any continuity from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. The only line that's troubling is Fury referring to Coulson as the new guy. Now, it's obvious this isn't the fresh out of high school Phil Coulson that Fury supposedly recruited and trained alongside John Garrett, but there are some workarounds. He could have trained Coulson in secret for some reason. He also could have floated this detail to Carol to downplay any bond they might have together in case she did end up being a hostile. I'm not sure. I've kind of lost all faith in the it's all connected at this point, and instead I'm clinging to it's not all disconnected by the weakest of headcanons. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's really interesting yeah there's so much time especially with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. you know we've had we're up to season 6 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and they talked about so much of this stuff they brought in the Creed they brought in the past of Phil Coulson a couple of times we've had Nick Fury on there twice you know there's, there's loads of stuff that they've done and talked about that may not be able to be included in the movies but I like that they haven't really trampled all over what they've talked about in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. good touches OA4 continues with, I thought the scrolls were great, even if the twist that Talos wasn't all that bad was kind of predictable. I really want a What We Do in the Shadows movie with a bunch of well-meaning scrolls living together. Can that be Taika Waititi's next project? 100% I want that film. I want that, I want uh, that film or TV show. What scrolls do in the shadows? At least a DVD extra or a Blu-ray extra. Uh, that'd be awesome. OA4 continues, there were so many connections in this movie that I don't think were all on purpose. The Tesseract and Project Pegasus was a bit blatant. It was fun to see what happened to it between the first Avenger and the first Avengers. Yes, that sentence was confusing on purpose. (laughs) Then there's Nick Fury's unfortunate eye incident, making the Winter Soldier line, last time I trusted someone, I lost an eye, so much better. (laughs) What surprised me was the Kree inhibitor that Carol wore on her neck. It's so similar to what Daisy wears in the alternative future in last season, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., 
although it would seem that Carol simply ripping, ripping hers off inspired the Cree to make doing so a lot harder by the time 2091 rolls around. I doubt anyone working on the movie watched the TV show, and I don't think Clark would have had near enough input to suggest that story point, but it's a nice coincidence. You see, I'm not too sure about that OI4. But remember, these are supposed to be all connected, and the flagship TV show is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so the idea that the design team that were behind the TV show you know that someone on the design team behind this movie may not may have watched the show that doesn't seem too beyond the realms of possibility for me and i don't know like i i do think there probably is some lore team that that's based in marvel studios that makes suggestions like this that does yeah, need I think to connect because so. they, they have that team in the star wars in lucas arts or disney mm-hmm. now um, exactly and this is all disney yeah. right so they all probably have that it's, it's somebody's job to keep all this stuff together right for you know um I like the idea that they may have had to fix the inhibitor purely because of the fact that Captain Marvel can pull it off herself. So maybe we need to make it stronger in the future to, to protect it from these superpowered humans. I like that. Oh, it four continues. I love how the MCU Carol's origin. I was always worried about how problematic it was in the comics. The big female hero gets her powers how? By being saved by a male love interest and then is later named after said love interest. They kept the explosion, but it's brought about by her own sacrifice, and I'd like to think she knew that shooting that engine would result in a blast and probably kill her, but knowing that lives are somewhere at stake, she takes the situation into her own hands and does it anyway. Some of my favourite moments for these MCU characters are what they do before they get their powers. Tony's in the cave, Steve jumping on a grenade, and now Carol shooting that engine. All the same feel for me, at least. That's a really, really good uh, call out there, I think. It does feel like a sacrifice from Carol that she has. she's trying to save everything that's going on and by doing that she's uh, she has created herself as the new hero it's kind of a really good touch yeah 100% OA4 says the Rambo family were done really well the Shonda Lynch's acting was very understated and subtle and sold a very controllable character having a difficult time process- processing the return of her thought to be dead friend she was also great piloting that ship and thwarting Minerva even if I'm sad to see Gemma Chan go so soon, I'm excited to see Monica all growing up in the sequel and helping Carol kick more ass. Her involvement in Carol's colour scheme was adorable, and don't you dare tell me otherwise. I think the character of Goose speaks for itself, right? No need to bring that up at all. Good. I probably need to wrap this up soon, so on to the credit scenes. End game. One detail surprised me here. Shocker, I know. We've been told that the two teasers we've gotten are mostly made up of footage from pretty early in the movie, and in that footage, Cap's clean-shaven and Widow has her hair red again. I think this means Carol shows up possibly in one of the first few scenes, when Cap's beard is still a tribute to Thor. <laughs> Given how powerful she is, I would have thought they would wait until well into the second act to throw her in and save the day. It's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out, with that man showing up with some likely helpful quantum info tony's inevitable return to earth and now carol popping up a facility ready to turn thanos into grape juice it's really looking pretty clear that the avengers are going to have a lot of help trying to piece everything back together i suppose that's what we were saying wasn't it that this this post-credit scene is dealing with the fact that they have the whole happening the whole snapping has happened everybody's been taken off off the board so is there any point in going up against thanos and killing thanos like that doesn't bring everybody back it doesn't resolve anything going and killing him there's a bigger plan that has to be brought into play here. And by putting all these pieces together, that's how we get the next Avengers movie. That's how we hopefully get some of the dead heroes returning is by putting all the pieces together and fixing this. It's yeah. not about just going in and punching Thanos in the face. It doesn't accomplish anything, unfortunately. So bringing Carol in with her knowledge and her powers early on in the movie is an important detail, right? Yeah. And she's powered by the Space Dome. The Tesseract. Yes, so. the Tesseract. Yeah. Oh, it four continues on the post credit says, I think that's almost it. Post credit was cute. My initial thought was the Tesseract should have burned through Fury's desk, but I heard another podcast suggesting that we've that we've only ever seen it burn through things when it's been active. 
Ah, nice touch. At this point, it's moot to try and rank all the movies one by one, so I won't even try. I think I put this somewhere in the top third overall. Probably knock out one of the Guardians movies into the middle. I'm always kind of back and forth on those Guardians movies. But until next time, True Believers, Excelsior. Oh, yeah, and the Stan Lee intro broke me. Thanks for that, Marvel. <laughs> thank you for all your thoughts, OA4. Always great to hear them. Yes, thank you so much, OA4, and I'm right there with you, as I said, that Stan Lee, both cameo and opening, destroyed me. Yeah. It still does. It will do, even in next month when they show that again in Endgame. <laughs> I'm assuming they will. They might, yeah, yeah. Definitely a big, a big moment. Uh, Chris, do you want to take us on to Facebook feedback? Yes, so over on Facebook, Andrew Wilmot said the following. I loved this movie from beginning to end. The performances were all great, the humour was really fantastic and kept me and the audience chuckling throughout. The characters were really enjoyable and I love seeing them all and I hope we can see them again in the future. The score and the music choices were on point. Were there a few flaws? Yeah. I felt some of the action on the movie could have been shot or edited better, but I'm willing to forgive because the directors are known for indies and had zero experience with all the action stuff. The action got better as the film went on. The third act was fantastic. I felt like the directors did a good job and the cinematography was great as well. I also loved how much heart and emotion this film had and the directors really brought some of their film styles to this movie. And at times it did truly feel like an indie film. I personally really loved and appreciated that. It felt different unique mm. the crowd seemed to love it too and the house had a ton of fun clapping and laughing throughout the wonderful stan lee tribute at the beginning got a huge round of applause oh and i can't flirk and wait for avengers endgame watch out thanos <laughs> i'm sincerely worried for you thank you andrew for that feedback and oh my god how did i miss that flirking wait i can now swear again in defenders tv podcast because i'm just saying <laughs> flirking it's all about the flirking. <laughs> this is perfect. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. This is the, 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 I can get around it now. Our producer mm. is looking at me, trying to find a way, but I'm just talking about a cat. Not about me. I just don't want us banned on iTunes. I still want to actually have people be able to listen to oh, our yes, podcast. Yes. That's all. That's all. So it's about intention, Chris. And no matter what word you use, if you <laughs> use the, the word and have the intention that you're cursing, we may be banned by iTunes because they can be difficult sometimes. True, so true, true. Don't want to have that. Thank you, Andrew. And look, I just want to call out. We don't really do the clapping and the, the, the whooping in the, the Irish cinemas, which I always mm. find the thing when people talk about this in the, for American cinemas. I'm like, yeah. I, I want to go see like Endgame in the American cinema on like opening weekend just so I get that clapping, whooping experience. It would be awesome. The only time I think I've ever seen a movie like that in America was when uh, the original Independence Day came out on Independence Day in the US um, and I watched it in the cinema I think that's the only time where it's all people whooping and clapping along with uh, with a big speech that's going on in the movie I've never really experienced it even in all the other films that I saw when I lived in America I never really experienced it other than that but I'm sure the Marvel movies and Star Wars movies and stuff like that bring out that kind of crowd as well certainly don't get that in Switzerland we're very reserved over here there's no, there's no talking at all from the uh, from the minute those lights go down even during that 10 minute uh, interval that we get every single movie now um, there doesn't seem to be much talking at all so. Oh my god! but only one person left which is good just one person stood up and left everybody the whole thing we so. had one person like that too in ours and i literally turned around and looked at him and i went shrugged i was like what you know why and he just looked at me and kept walking so basically <laughs> if this man doesn't know about the post-credit scenes he just saw this other gentleman look at him give him a quizzical look shrug at him <laughs> visibly shrug with his hands out and was like why, yeah. why is that guy looking at me why why what the hell 
No, I've generally heard a lot of people say now that they don't wait in the cinema at all for post credit scenes. They just go home and watch them on YouTube weekly because it's not really part of the film. That's that's the attitude. They don't want to stay and sit around and, and watch the credits at all. That's why I think they need to step up the game like they did in Guardians and give us some credits that are enjoyable to watch as well as the post credit scenes. <laughs> Let's go on to a bit more feedback. Claire Payne says, uh, Hi, I haven't seen Captain Marvel as yet, but my colleague James Stone has. So here's some of his thoughts since he doesn't have Facebook. Uh, Brie was fantastic in the movie. What I liked about it in the film, they didn't sexual her in any way she is beautiful but they don't play on that other than the costume she's in the baggy clothes she's wearing fury as a young agent is brilliant visually it's like a cross between guardians of the galaxy and thor ragnarok, ragnarok when in space and then when on earth it's 90s references which are always great yeah i see that i think there's the palette i suppose marvel now have because they've done so many space movies now they have that kind of palette that you do feel like you have a little bit of guardians and you have a little bit of thor ragnarok and um, i do feel it's a very different film because of how quickly it gets to earth and how much of it's set on on planet earth in the 90s it feels like we have a 90s flashback movie kind of like the way they have a 40s flashback movie with captain america so um i guess a period piece feels weird to say that it's a time that happened in my life that i remember quite well <laughs> no it is but don't forget like when we're on hala we we get a hala transportation scene where they're on a train talking i can definitely see what they're going for there in terms of right you're right they have a, a palette now that are now kind of they know how each room each world is going to look yeah it's good jim carrey also had some feedback over on our facebook group and said my first impressions are based on older comics but not so much that captain marvel miss marvel stuff which i can barely remember i am not a hardliner with canon but i had a few disappointments i don't care much about the gender changes i did notice the name captain marvel was never really uttered or had any logical reason to be attributed to our main character for a while i wondered if carol was a daughter of marvell in the story i like benny and would have liked a ton more time developing their relationship via the flashback or video capture parts of the origin seem to be bits of shrapnel being pieced together i think the audience had seen enough stuff like star trek next generation shattered or matrix to follow the non-linear unfolding origin but it didn't feel like it took a full journey maybe this was the, the curse of knowing in advance that Car- carol was at least in lore a human I did not like the scroll recast as victims. Wasn't the Kree Skull War a very long backdrop in the comics? Perhaps I don't remember if the skulls were anything other than just equal opponents. I'm not a Jack Kirby fan for most things, but I sure hope to see how the team was going to render the Kree Supreme Intelligence. Not to my knowledge, known as an AI. I think it was at least partially biological. Kirby's rendition of the original Supreme Intelligence reminded me of a plugged-in bulldog. <laughs> I'll take. I'll, I'll agree with you there, Jim. It was um, the Kirby's thing is like an anthropomorphic blob with kind of like locked in a in a, a glass tube. It was definitely something. Yeah, I'll give you that. Jim went on to say, I still don't have a total handle on Danvers' powers. So, in the 30 years since the end of the movie and her arrival with the Avengers, one, I assume she had plenty of time to dispatch the Kree and its Supreme Intelligence, and two, sure hope she knows what she can do more, among others, like launching, redirecting the, the, the power, stopping herself from falling and flying through the air, or the vacuum of space with the graces of ease, blow things up with her fire fists, and she resolve while her powers are fresh and new to her, but she knows how not to pierce the hull of a ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I would expect. I think we talked about it on the podcast. There, I'd expect. You know, at this point, she's come back after being in battle for many, many years. She's got a much bigger handle on her on her powers. Um, you know, this was the big reveal in the third act of the movie is that she has 
unlimited power or a lot more power than she's been told for many, many years, for the six years that she's had the powers. So, uh, yeah, we're absolutely expecting to see an even more powerful and focused Captain Marvel when she comes back uh, to the Avengers. So spoilers for the Guardians of the Galaxy and Agents of Shields up to season five. Um, but in the greater MCU, such as the Guardians of the Galaxy, all we've heard about were the Kree. On Agents of mm-hmm. S.H.I.E.L.D., we had a Kree warrior body. Um, I was expecting that the warrior would be captured or die in Captain Marvel movie, but I don't recall such a setup. We also have a glimpse of the Kree dominance in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. sandbox oddball arc that followed another sandboxed arc. I think what he's referring to here is the, the, the last season where they did do a bit of kind of time travel and there was a lot of Kree in there. And yes, there were Kree mm-hmm. bodies Um uh, found but no Captain Marvel didn't really have a Kree body on, on Earth to be found so obviously the Kree were there years before yeah weirdly it's the scroll isn't it they, they have a body of the scroll that's uh, that's being operated on that's one of the moments where we realise that Ben Mendelsohn's Talos is uh, a sympathetic character when he's putting his hand on the on the head of the dead scroll and, and saying goodbye to his fallen comrade effectively so uh, yeah I, I'm not sure they wanted to tie the movie in that tightly with with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, that is where Agent Coulson is resurrected effectively because of the uh, because of the Kree warrior that's uh, that's left on Earth after a battle but we may see other battles again there's been 20 years between that movie and the arrival of Agent Coulson even in, in the Avengers movies so um, so yeah there's a, there's a long time between uh, between those particular periods but it doesn't have to hit all the points I suppose you start to really bind everybody's hands if you have to hit every single uh, moment that's happened in the last 10 years. I think, as 084 said earlier on, the hashtag it's not necessarily all disconnected is probably a bit closer to the it's all connected uh, timeline now. It is connected. It's just over time, things get muddled. It's just like, you know, these things happen. Back to John for Ray's feedback. Yeah, another bit of uh, feedback in on Facebook, Ronaldo. Uh, he says, I personally thought it was a bit of a slow start when we're introduced in Halla, but when Danvers reaches C-53, it's just got better and better. As far as origin of first movies go, this is very, very solid. Highly entertaining, and my love for Ben Mendelsohn just grew with his seemingly one-dimensional portrayal of the lead scroll. It ends up being way more than one-dimensional. Larson and Jackson work well together, and I love the nods to Deconic Run. Uh, apparently, she even cameos at the train station. I'm so pumped for Endgame now, knowing the heroes have Captain Marvel on their side. Oh, and it's been a long time since I got so many goosebumps at different parts of the film. That can only mean good, a good thing. I'd watch this again and again. Nice. Thank you, Ronaldo. Yeah, absolutely. I, I Something that I really want to watch again and again as well, because there's a lot to... Um, to bring in here and yeah i think the goosebumps i got when captain marvel became powered understood it was the same i got from the spot into the spider-verse with miles morales so uh i love this and yeah ben mendelson not being a bad guy is yes. also another revelation but maybe <laughs> he'll turn out to be one in the future i reckon they could uh keep switching this uh back and forth for the scrolls um possibly into the future right. if uh, as we were saying the um secret invasion is to be believed um definitely yeah you never know you never know i know ray was pointing out to me recently that uh, that ben Mendelssohn actually started his career as a comedian or in a comedy movie so, so it's quite interesting that we in in the west have all seen him in uh, bad guy roles so often but uh, but yeah thanks so much for that ray yeah, thank you so much. And Jeff Childs uh, says it was a bit draggy in spots, but overall really good. 
They did a good job de-aging Samuel L. Jackson. The only giveaway was a couple of scenes where he had to run. The fact that he's 70 shows... Well, it's the fact that I'm probably unfit would probably show as well. Um, <laughs> if I were to be asked to run... Uh, you could uh, physically de-age me to 20 and I couldn't run as well as he does at yeah. 70. <laughs> they, could, they could probably put the roadrunner in my place and it would probably be better for, for me running. <laughs> Coulson was underused, um, I thought, and slightly bland, says uh, Jeff. Uh, Love what they did with the opening Marvel logo. That was really good. Uh, So, yeah, thank you, Jeff, uh, for that. Yeah, the opening Marvel logo, that was a real kind of nod to Stan. uh, Really nicely done. And, of course, yeah, Coulson, I think he was there. I I liked how much they used him. I think... um, this this was certainly uh, about uh, Brie Larson uh, and Captain Marvel, and I think secondary with with uh, Nick Fury as well. I think, yeah. uh, but it was good to just have those few little touch points with Coulson. I thought, but uh, yeah, he, it, it, there wasn't too much screen time. But I think, as Derek has said about, um, you know, he is also filming Agents of Shield. Then maybe maybe that had something to do with it as well. But uh, yeah. Thank you, Jeff. But even having the touch point that Coulson is the one that lets Fury go, I think, is a really nice touch. It's just showing that he is that character still. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks so much to everyone who sent in their feedback to us uh, for this episode. You know, this movie's only been out for three days, and there are so many people that have given us more feedback about, about this movie than I think we've had in the past. Uh, thanks so much for joining us for this podcast and for this movie. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as we did. Uh, you can follow us on DefendersTVPodcast.com. Uh, at the moment, we're going to be in a little bit of a uh, a blank spot um, until the release of Avengers, which is only a month away. We've been doing about two episodes a week for a while now, so, uh, so we're going to have a little bit of a break uh, up until the Avengers. Uh, the only thing we'll probably be talking about is comic books with our Doctor Strange coverage on Strange Tales on Defenders TV podcast. Uh, so come and join us for those issues. Yes, and we'll be back at some point later this year with the final Marvel Netflix show, season three of Jessica Jones. So therefore, mm-hmm. she has no date on that ship. We just know it is coming in 2019. So uh, watch this space. But we will see you right here. Same Avengers channel, same Avengers time in 30 days (laughs) for Avengers Endgame. It is all coming to a head. The end of phase three, the end of everything as we know it. Or the beginning of lots of brand new things. Or the beginning (laughs) of something new. For every end, there is a beginning. Exactly. I'm going to go and get myself de-aged and see if I can can look as good as Samuel L. Jackson and uh, and Clark Gregg. I don't think it's going to be possible. <laughs> ah, you can try. They can do a lot with technology. <laughs> and I'm going to go play with my flurkin. So it's fine. And that is not a, a flurkin metaphor. It's fine. Thanks so much for joining us, fellow defenders. Talk to you next time. Yes, as always, thank you so much for joining us, fellow defenders. It has been a pleasure. And of course, in the immortal words of Annette Banning from American Beauty... I will save some scrolls today. <laughs> I will save some scrolls today. Very different character. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, she's spring cleaning the universe, ready for the yard sale. Or for the house sale, I should say. But once I've saved some scrolls, we'll be back to speak with you again shortly for Avengers Endgame. Mm Mm-hmm. Bye. 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 Or any other good. Or any other curl or scree. That's the wrong word. I'm going to do that all podcast. Mm-hmm. Really nicely done. Whilst we have uh, Scree Colson 
next to um, uh, Nick Fury in the... Oh, that's your geographer coming in, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> uh, it is, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Whilst all the time we have Skrull Coulson... Uh... Marvel is just a scientist trying to save the Kree society, um, which is what scroll. we see here. Oh, damn it, you're right. Um, it, it reminded me a bit of um, Superman, actually, mm-hmm. uh, where he's fighting Zog, uh, and you have the the That's punch, that. and you follow it through, but she's kind of like punching through... Zod. What? Zod, not Zog. <laughs> <laughs> the planet Zog would take Zog, like... <laughs> she's mocking scrolls, she's returning tiny little pew-pew shots with gigantic proton blasts. She's returning tiny little pew-pew shots with gigantic photon blasts. I can't say photon. Why can't I say yeah, photon? Yeah, it's photon. But I said it wrong. <laughs> Twice. 